Oui. okay with you Ernest that was really sad <laughs> have you been since your sister committed suicide <laughs> my sister's doing fine guys shout out to Camilla I love you welcome to we bought a mic <laughs> I am your host Ernest Calderon I am also your host Hunter Mobley I'm your host Drew Dietzen and uh, this is we bought a mic a pop culture podcast where we bring you the latest in film, TV, music, etc. All that good, good. Uh, today, we're going to be getting into a little bit of uh, TV with the Rick and Morty finale, the new Netflix show Big Mouth, mm-hmm. um, and The Good Place, season two. Mm-hmm. And then we'll finish it up with a big old in-depth review of the new Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve film. Got a got a fat episode for you guys. Blade today. Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah. It's gonna be a fat boy. Oh, big old fatty. Um, before we get into any of this, though, uh, did you guys hear the news that Brett Ratner is oh. going to produce a Hugh Hefner biopic starring Mister Jared Leto? Oh boy, starring the Joker. That sounds fucking bad. <laughs> We'll get more into our thoughts of Jared Leto when we get to our Blade Runner 2049 discussion. I think that if he's well-directed, he can be fine. I don't but I don't buy him as a playboy. No, I, not at all. I, I don't know why they would do, cast him. Do you him. buy him as a uh, creep? Though? I buy him as a yeah. joker. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I buy him as like a self-centered egomaniac who's like okay at everything he does. Who sometimes gets in trouble for sexual harassment? Yeah, or exactly. assault could yeah. be could be a good fit for Hefner. <laughs> I just I don't see that at all working. Yeah. Also, um, Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are in talks for a Teddy Roosevelt movie. Now that's that? something. Yeah. See, that's a duo you want to hear. You don't want to hear Ratner and Leto. You want to hear <laughs> Scorsese and DiCaprio. Yeah. That's a bit more... Leo Leo needs a good biopic. You said okay. FDR? Yeah, Teddy. Teddy. Oh, Teddy, okay. Te- yeah, Teddy's got a great story. That'll be a good movie. Although Leo looks absolutely nothing like Teddy Roosevelt is one of the I mean, things. he's he I mean, was J. Edgar Hoover. Just he in a bunch looked of, nothing like him. He, yeah. Well, he wore a bunch of facial makeup to yeah. play an old man. I mean, you know, he's he's method. He'll I, probably... to, I hope that Leo rocks like a really sweet stash like Teddy had back in the day. That's yeah, that's want. probably what they'll give him. They'll just give him like Groucho glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... Teddy's like one of the all time badasses of the world. Like yeah. he, he has a crazy story and there's it's, he's overdue for a good modern movie about him. So that'll be cool if it's done. Um, In other news, 
Warner Brothers is looking to shake up their whole DC lineup by letting everyone know that actually there is no extended universe and they're kind of abandoning that whole idea and they're going to introduce us to this whole side universe of movies that are not even related to the Justice League movies at all. Well, I need to figure out what exactly it's called, but there's this thing that happens in the DC comics. It's like some kind of a tower or something, but it basically like, it's like, makes everything canon in a way because it's just saying oh these are all happening in alternative timelines but it's actually something that's in the dc books are you talking about flashpoint flashpoint yeah Yeah. that's what i'm that's what i'm they're going they announced they're making a flashpoint movie yeah and that's basically going to reset the entire universe which is really really lazy for a studio that they're just like all right this isn't working we're going to get rid of 75 percent of our movies which is the stuff that doesn't work and keep Wonder Woman, and basically. They, yeah, and they only have a couple of movies out so far. So it's not like you look at Marvel, who's like 13 movies in or some shit. And Justice League is like about to come out, mm. and they're already thinking of like completely redoing everything. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if they're just trying to make better movies, then... More power to them. It's just, it feels like a mess. I but mean, Wonder what? Woman was a good movie. So if they're just yeah. trying to learn from it, that. It feels like a little bit of like a, oh, well, you don't care. Well, guess what? We don't care. So exactly. You, you know, they're but just throwing shit at the yeah, wall. At the same time, though, I don't, they're right. I don't give a shit about a DCCU. So, no. I mean, why not throw DC-E-U. it DCEU. No, they, they <laughs> said that that's not even the name of it. That they're gonna come up with some other name oh, for sick. the TBD. Yeah, it's the just the <laughs> DC movies, the DC TBDU. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the new Justice League trailer, which literally just came out today, and we are about to watch it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Live reaction for you guys. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be a doozy. Yeah, get ready. All right, so I'm about to start playing, and we're just this is. First time watching the new Justice League trailer. All right, here we go. I hope we get another clip of Aquaman riding the Batmobile. Crank that shit. Right. <laughs> this already sucks. There were, okay, so there was like a two-second little teaser before the yeah. trailer. That's necessary. All right, now we got, looks like Wonder Woman looking at a sunset. Oh, no, it's Lois Lane. It's Amy Adams. Small, Smallville Farmhouse, Kent Farmhouse. Okay. Ooh, okay. But Pretty Superman shy. is dead. Spoilers. How could this be? Oh, oh, what? What? I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> 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 the ring. So much for uh, keeping that surprise. Henry Cavill sucks. He is the worst. Amy Adams is being totally wasted in these movies. She's yeah. an incredible actress. Oh, so it she was, was a, just dreaming that Superman was alive. Cool. Always fill up a fourth of your trailer with a dream. Make sure you do that. Hey, a fourth of BVS was all dreams, yes, so it's, it's at true. least they're being consistent. <laughs> oh my god. It's flying robots. Please give me a blue beam to the okay, sky. CG. A lot of CG. Wonder Woman. The giant. That CG looks pretty bad. Is this like Warcraft or something? Like, what is this? Batfleck. Ben Affleck's actually trying. He's like the only person who I think is trying. Ooh, JK. JK. New uh, Commissioner Gordon. Is this 30 Seconds to Mars playing? Oh, yeah, that that Jared Leto. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, there's that hunky guy from Magic Mike or whatever. Uh, what, Jason Momoa? Yeah. Okay, some cool Flash action. Flash looks kind of cool. Cyborg still looks shitty. I'm not interested in this. There's no... The world needs Superman. I don't know. Oh, God. Oh, Cyborg looks so bad. This looks bad in general. Oh, it's so What's red. Happening? Why is it so red? Everything is red. Dude, Cyborg looks like trash. Now Aquaman can fly and just... Yeah, so Cyborg is just throwing Aquaman around. <laughs> Aquaman's just like fucking spearing people in the air. Dude, what is up with this red? I can't this even movie tell just what's happening. Red. This is a fucking mess. Uh, oh, God. There it is. Hey. Yeah, we got it. We got Aquaman riding the Batmobile. And now uh, the movie's called DC Justice League. Also, as a bad signal, that's your... Oh, shit, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's, that's what that means. This is so cool. <laughs> hey, look, Smart. it's got jokes. Jesus We got Christ. jokes. Fucking Christ. Are you all in? No, I'm out. I'm out. I don't like that. Oh, my God. That, that looked like BVS, where it's just like a bunch of... It, it depends on you caring about these characters. And so they're like, oh, well, we don't have to make you care about them then, because you already care about them. Like, there's just... There's no substance, I feel like. Um, Nerdwriter has a great video. Uh, shout out to Nerdwriter, friend of the pod. Yeah. Uh, on YouTube, it's, it's a video essay about the problem with Batman versus Superman. And it's so true. It has... A billion, like, really cool-looking moments. Yeah. It's all about That's all the what moments. Zack Snyder is about. Yeah, and there's no scenes. There's no... It's not earned. There's nothing that makes you give a fuck. It's just a bunch of, like, really, you know, just like It moments. just keeps trying... It, like, lingers on just one shot that's supposed to stay in your memory. I mean, but you there's can, no setup You for can it. tell that Zack Snyder is a really big fan of the comic books that these movies are based on. And he just wants to take these iconic panels, these drawings and bring him to life well that's what he did with Watchmen too yeah and and it creates some beautiful imagery I mean Watchmen I think looks a lot better than BVS um or Man of Steel Watchmen is still a very like low saturated movie but it Mm -hmm. works for what it is but with with BVS and Man of Steel like it should be colorful it's it's not it's so dark and this movie Justice League like I don't know how much of this is Snyder or um Joss Whedon, mm. but again with the dark colors, like now they put a bunch of red tint. Yeah, over I really it and it wish that. Red. I really wish the that fuck? we would. I don't think that we'll ever actually know how much Joss Whedon did and how much Snyder did on this project. I don't think that we'll ever get the answer to that. I wonder if the scenes of red that was originally all black and Joss Whedon's like, I'm going to come in here and color correct this yeah, and we're going to make everything that's what red. It looks, like. <laughs> it looks like it reminds me of Infant Four Stick when they go to this like. Do, have you guys ever seen Fan Forstick? Yeah. 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 You know, whenever they go why, to like the apocalypse, why world? did you both see Fan Forstick? What do you. Because <laughs> I hate myself. Why, I why fucking you, hate myself. Why am I the Drew? only one here that hasn't seen it? No, but what, you know, when they go to the world and it's just really drab <laughs> ending, and gray. The last, like, the final act. Yeah. And yeah. wherever. Um, uh, Doctor Doom. Doom. Yeah, yeah, wherever like Doom gets, it literally just up. looks like they just shot it in a warehouse with a green screen. And that's yeah. basically how yeah. that red scene looks. It's yeah, like this, so many yeah. of those, yeah, big open battlefield scenes that pisses me off. It looked like the last Hobbit movie where yeah. just you can just tell everything is rendered and it really mm-hmm. takes you out of it. Yeah, that that really bothers me because you're just looking at it and you're like, why do I care about 
any of this. Yeah. Like, what is what is the point? I, I, I barely know these characters, and I know they're in no danger at all because this is a superhero movie. No one's going to die. So it's Unless Superman it's BBS. did die. Because <laughs> probably because Henry Cavill is a fucking brick wall of yeah. acting. Hey, I wonder if that shot of Henry Cavill had that CGI uh, mustache. <laughs> they had to like patch it in. Yeah. Just like... Why not? Why didn't they just let uh, Henry Cavill keep the mustache what? and give us a mustache Superman? Mustache. He comes back from the dead with a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That would be incredible. I mean, I Hunter and I. We we said that we're gonna watch this movie because we have movie pass. Well, now. yeah, that's what that's what I was about to say. Is thank God I have movie pass because yeah. I do not want to pay money for this movie. But it's like ah, it's basically free, so yeah. I might as well. So go. we'll we'll still check it out. Hopefully, it's Only not part fucking of the three hours long. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure to talk about it on the pod and and tear it apart. Okay. Unless it's good. I mean, it could I be mean, good. It doesn't look good, but. It doesn't look as bad as BVS or Suicide Squad, though. It's a step in the right direction, but yeah. we're still looking at like a five out of ten. It yeah. doesn't make it a good movie. Yeah, I, uh, it, you're going it just from looks bad like to less mess. bad. I don't give a shit about DC movies. They they've proven to me that I shouldn't. see I mean, them. hey, Wonder Woman was a good movie. Yeah, I didn't I like Wonder Woman. I didn't see it. I I guess I should. Wonder yeah, Woman. It was solid. It yeah, it's good. I mean, that's good. I guess I guess if they learn how to improve, then maybe this will be okay. But that just looked like empty that trailer looked empty to me i know that like sorry Zack snyder i know he's been through a lot of shit but i do not think i think he's kind of a hack director yeah he's just all of his movies have the exact same tone to them and every single one puts this project in a really tough spot because you know that anything good that comes from it they're just gonna say that it was joss whedon yeah no, Zack Snyder's going to get fucked on this regardless. Yeah, it's, like, it's sad. The best move for him would be to totally step down from DC and try and do something I, new. No, I think that's what's going to happen for sure. Yeah. He, he should just, just do like a little Oscar bait indie movie with no CG yeah, in it. Yeah. And we can see how bad he truly is. <laughs> yeah. I, has he ever done a movie without CG in it? I don't see. 300 no. Watchmen. Yeah. 300 is entirely CG. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a shtick. And it's another movie that's entirely moments. By the way, scenes, when, was the last time, when was the last time you guys saw 300? Because that movie has not aged very well. No. I saw it in middle it is, school and I was like, cool. But It's also like you take it now in the context in the world that we're living in. It's like very nationalistic and like this isolation they're like no no one comes in this is sparta it's like and it's like very homoerotic too oh yeah all the guys are like chiseled (laughs) and like ooh, Mm. you look so good Mm, those pecs oh russell um okay speaking of looking good let's get into what we've been watching (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's start uh off talking about big mouth because i i really like this show yeah i have not seen seen any of it it. oh okay well then i guess we won't spoil but we'll just talk about it in general is there things to spoil there's really not that much to spoil. yeah i thought it was just like a almost a family guy s type it's a it's a fun comedy it's yeah and you know what it's about obviously it's Mm. i mean it's it's created co-created and starring nick kroll of Kroll Show, of, you know, a bunch of shit. Very he funny. Bring, he brings a lot of funny people with yeah. him to do voices. Yeah, the whole voice cast is incredible. It's fucking stacked. Yeah. I mean, Kroll um, does a lot of characters. Yeah, he does about five. And then so, and then the co-creator of it is Nick Kroll's childhood friend, Andrew Goldberg. And the two main characters of the show are Nick and Andrew. It's mm-hmm. them in their childhoods. It's kind of an autobiographical show about them going through puberty. Um, and you got you got John Mulaney playing the um, Manzukis yeah, character. Right now. John Mulaney is Andrew. Yeah, Manzukis, Jenny Slate. Uh, it's it's incredibly it's kind of stacked. stacked. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Fred Armisen, Maya Rudolph. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
it's it's an extremely I mean like like you said uh, Brett when we were watching it he mentioned that it it does share some DNA with Family Guy that's because I I looked into it Andrew Goldberg was a writer and producer of Family Guy so that makes sense because it's very irreverent I would say it's better because it's a lot more focused of a show it's not just like a standard just references references it's not references. just fuck yeah it's not yeah, just I fucking was all actually over the place. really surprised how good the writing is in it's, terms of like the character development yeah. and the advancement of the plot because each episode has its own little story like the first episode is about ejaculation the second episode is about menstruation yeah. so you have these like puberty sort of themes for each episode but it's also telling a larger story for the entire season that gets tied in re- yeah really cohesively. and it, yeah it, the, the writing is quality it's very funny it's extremely irreverent uh you know there's a lot of jokes from all over the place but most of them work like it's it's I was surprised by that. Yeah. And it gets pretty meta, too. Like, yeah. they break the fourth wall, and they are very aware that these are adult voice actors mm-hmm. doing kids. And oh, that yeah. adds a they're lot not, of humor to it. And also, it. it's it's definitely good that they're not trying to sound like kids, because that's annoying. So yeah. they're just they're just talking, which is fine. Um, but yeah, the, the writing is pretty quality. Uh, Nick Kroll brings a lot of the characters that he plays are voices that you'll recognize from his comedy Bang Bang appearances or uh, Kroll show. He does a lot of characters that are essentially those yeah, characters. Yeah, there's one character that is essentially... Um, Ref Jeff? Uh, yeah, there's Ref Jeff, who yeah. is basically the uh, um, hormone monster. Is oh, that what he calls himself? Well, Ref Jeff is the coach. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, the coach. And then, yeah, there's a hormone... that This is where the show gets uh, you know, heightened, is there's like a literal hormone monster that comes and visits like Andrew's character and like makes him jack off to fucked up shit yeah. and stuff like that. It's it's honestly it's very nostalgic. And then there's the basically Liz character, the um Liz. Yeah, there's that. There's yeah, you'll <laughs> if you're a Kroll fan, you're gonna like this show. But even if not, the pilot had me a little worried because it wasn't as good as I think it improves over the course of the season. And there's some things that you have to just kind of buy. It's like Family Guy. There's some things where you're just like, okay, that's fine. Like how there's a talking baby and a talking dog in Family yeah. Guy. There is the ghost of Duke Ellington living in Nick Kroll's uh, attic, and he goes and gets advice from him. And it's never like explained, but it's just a thing. And it works. It, and that's one of the things that makes this um, just really feel at home in, in being an animated show. Because you don't really, these heightened elements don't really come out of left yeah. field or anything. It, it just makes sense. And yeah. It, it all just sort of fleshes out this little world that the the show is making yeah. for itself, and it is a universally relatable co- uh, concept. I mean, we all yeah for men and women. Yeah, it brings yeah. yeah it it does a good job of portraying female puberty as well. Um, but it's just you know it's a thing we can all relate to. It's gonna you know trigger memories, good and bad. But yeah. it's just it's a fun watch. It's it's almost refreshing because it does have some good character depth, definitely. But it's refreshing because it doesn't have the BoJack Rick and Morty thing of like someone always wants to kill themselves. Right. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't go to, to those. It places. Doesn't get that deep. Yeah. It just, and, it, and it's not dis- distasteful because you it, making a show about like all these raunchy like sexual themes, um, starring like characters that are children could go very very wrong. Mm. But it's not in bad taste, and it yeah. doesn't feel like. Yeah, it, you don't feel gross I watching mean, it. Or yeah, anything. it's just it's it's, it's it just fun. I can see someone feeling gross because there is like a part where the hormone monster does cut a guy's head off and skull fuck it. Yeah, but 
so I shouldn't show this to my two-year-old child. Is what you're saying? Yeah, show it to your children. It's definitely not a children's show. It's, yeah, it's very, very, it's very adult. Yeah. but it's just fun. That's, I really need to get around to seeing it. I mean, I love everybody involved yeah, in this show. The best word for the show is just fun. It's fun to watch. It's enjoyable. Yeah, great, great jokes, and it's yeah, it's good. I mean, I've watched probably half the season, so I, I yeah. got to get into the second half. I'm about done with it, and it 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 stays like it it gets into its uh, rhythm. I feel like uh, like a few eps in, yeah. and then it just stays like really good. It's it's a good show. Cool. That's uh, Big Mouth now on Netflix, season one. Check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Recommended. Let's uh, get into the Rick and Morty finale, season ten, episode or sorry, season three, episode ten. Um. The Rick versus POTUS. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? No, it's called the Rick Cherry and Morty date. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 It, is, you guys it is Rick versus POTUS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the storyline. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a solid ep. Yeah, I thought, yeah. It, I thought it was good. Definitely not top five I, of the season. Yeah, I, I thought was, it was like pretty middle yeah. of the pack. It was a solid for like a last episode. It yeah. had like some good themes bringing everything together yeah. for the season. I, I was disappointed. I It's easily the worst finale the show has put oh, out. Oh yeah, so absolutely. Far. Yeah. It yeah. was I think it was a bottom half ep of the season. And they I don't know, there's just this expectation, like especially after the season two finale, that there's gonna be something big going on in the finale. And there was just nothing. I don't know. It was just an episode of Rick and Morty. Yeah. And it was, it was okay. Like a lot of the jokes in it didn't land for me. Yeah. We were predicting it to be this huge, huge culmination. Yeah. Bring in a bunch of things, which it did kind of answer some of the questions that we had from the last episode, which were the clone Beth stuff. Well, did it answer it though? But it didn't really. That's the thing. That was what was really good about it is because I I personally think that that's a clone Mm -hmm. and that the real Beth now she's going to come back to earth season four. I really hope that happens. And she's going to run into clone Beth who got back together with Jerry and be like, Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Like when you made that prediction, it's, it just sounds like the way to go. It just sounds like it's, it just makes sense. Knowing Harmon, like, it should really be like that. But Drew, you brought up a really good point mm. that maybe not because Harmon is obsessed with that classic yeah. sitcom structure. Yeah. I do think that she is a clone, but the counter argument to that is if you've read Dan Harmon's essays on story structure, he worships TV structure, which does not necessitate change. Yeah. And so literally the finale is a reset of all the characters. So if they really want to be boring and go that way, they can do that. I still think that they have, I mean, it's a very imaginative show, and I think it's just a more imaginative idea to have her be a clone. Yeah, and this whole season has shown us that they don't want this show to be the same show every season. So it it wouldn't make sense for it to go back to being exactly the same as season one. I think that's one of the things that took away from it is because I I like the B story of this episode more than I like the actual A story of just Rick versus the president. Me too. But... It's still just because I really like the whole like Beth, this like contemplating whether or not she's a clone. I thought that that worked really well. But I think one of the reasons that I didn't love this episode was that it was probably one of the most plot heavy points, plot heavy episodes of any episode this season, just because it was trying to reset everything like, okay, now we brought Jerry back in the fold. Yeah. Reset everything for season four. Yeah. Mm. The show is, it's just a very, I don't know, it's tricky because you know when they are firing all on all cylinders, it is a certain type of show that is very special. The Rick Lantis episode yeah, is a perfect exactly. example of like, that. W- yeah, when they're really like giving 110 yeah, Every line, every single exactly. every beat. Everything that happens like has a meaning to it. And then there's just some episodes that, in the context of Rick and Morty, are kind of throwaway episodes. Um, yeah, like they still, make, they still make for solid episodes yeah. of television, but 
in comparison to everything that Rick and Morty has shown us in the past. Yeah, it's just it's hard. Yeah, it's it's really hard when we've seen them doing like an eleven out mm-hmm. of ten, and then it's just like, oh, here's a, here's an, a soft eight for the finale. Yeah, and it's like, well, no, I don't want that. Even yeah. though for any other show, you'd be like, oh, hell yeah. So, what are our thoughts on uh, the season as a whole now that it's finished up? It was it's. I don't know if I can it had say its, it's ups and downs. I don't know if I can say it's my favorite. It's I like not. the direction that they're going. I think I still like season two a little bit more. Yeah, even season one was really good. But I mean, even if it's the worst season of Rick and Morty, it's still great. Yeah, there were just there were some really really high highs in this season. That's what I can say. Of course, the Rick Lantis episode was on a whole nother level. I really liked uh, episode nine, the ABCs of Beth. I that thought was, that was a really yeah. great episode for her character. That was a pretty cool one. I like the Whirly Dirly conspiracy. The Whirly Dirly was great. I love Vindicators Three was like the most classic Rick and or Morty episode. Or even the the premiere that premiered back in April. Oh yeah, I totally with, forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, with Rick episode. escaping prison, like that's a really really good episode. That was in yeah. my top two of the whole season. Yeah, and it's kind of forgotten about because it aired in April. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, overall the season, I mean. Every season of Rick and Morty so far has had an unbelievable episodes and then like pretty good episodes. Yeah. So it's expected. It's pretty, it, you know, it was a pretty good season. It's, of course, it goes without saying that it's just worth watching. Even if, you know, you're disappointed with the episode. There's really watching. even, exactly. That's, that's what we've been saying is even if you get a stumble of an episode, it's still a great episode of TV. Right. You know, even if, if it's a subpar uh half hour in terms of comparing it to all the other episodes it's it's still way better than most shows on tv and i i think that this season as a whole took some risks and gave us some stuff that we weren't expecting Mm. and they really took their time writing and you know we had to wait a while and i i think it was worth it i i think it's cool that they're sort of trying new things developing the characters of beth and summer a little more and just trying to switch it up and i really hope they continue to do that in season four i i love pickle rick like that episode that was that was a great episode there's there actually looking back through i have all the episodes pulled up here and there's some great ones rest and relaxation oh my god was an amazing episode toxic it's been a good season yeah um I don't know. See, the thing is, is I've watched episode uh, episodes from season one and two so many times. Mm. So, like, and Rick and Morty is one of those shows that it's so dense of a show, and like every line that somebody says matters. Yeah. So you pick up on different stuff every time that you watch it. Yeah. yeah. So we're, I mean, we're surely going to rewatch it and sit on it, and maybe our opinions will even. Yeah, change it's something that I that. haven't done with this third season that I r- did do with one and two is I would rewatch the episodes over and over. Like mm. within the span of, of of a couple days, yeah. so I haven't had time to do that with this one. But I think that maybe that's why I mm. cherish those earlier episodes a little more is mm. because I have rewatched them over and over several. I before. can't wait for the Blu-ray to come out with the commentary because <laughs> no, 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 the commentary for Rick and Morty is the best commentary ever. Because for those it's with who don't Justin know, Justin and Dan, Justin and Dan, they're like getting drunk while they're doing this commentary. <laughs> and there was one of the episodes, I don't remember what episode it was, and they're just like, all right, this is attempt number three because <laughs> the last two times we were too drunk and we were just yelling over each other, so we had to throw those out. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's, it's great commentary. <laughs> it's it's like the most laid back commentary ever. It's amazing. Um, so what do you guys think? Uh, have you guys seen this 
I, I like it. The kind of backlash on the internet now about the Rick and Morty fan base. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a good amount of that happening. And I kind of like it because there is a good portion of Rick and Morty fans who think they're fucking geniuses for understanding They think they're the show. only ones who watch Rick and Morty. Well, yeah. And they're just like, yeah, if you don't like it, you don't get it. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily They think true. they're like Elon Musk or some shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I, think about the Facebook group, the Swift posting yeah. Facebook group. That is just a pile of hot garbage at this point. It started out as like a fun little like meme page and now it has grown to just be this is just, just it's actual what shit. I mean, that's the danger. Like you want to see a show like this be successful, but when it becomes successful, you get shitty fans. Like that's just part of what comes yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's pretty funny. I, it doesn't take away from how great the show is, but so much of the fan base is really annoying on the internet and they really, there's a superiority complex and it's about a TV show. So yeah. it's just kind of like, get a grip, you high schoolers. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's let's move on to The Good Place. Yes. Uh, okay. okay. We got to split this up into two parts because I just want to give general thoughts on the show. And then we yeah. need to get into spoilers. But So yeah, last episode, uh, Ernest wasn't done with season one. Hunter hadn't watched it at all, correct? But now we're oh, pretty yeah, much... Oh yeah, yeah. I binged through all of it all the way up yeah. to the episode that came and, out. Yeah, so I was I was trying to, you know, I was trying to skirt around the big twist without telling you anything. I was just like, trust me, after yeah. season one, you're going to be like, oh. So we'll, we'll get to that when we get to our spoiler section. But just right now, spoiler free, The Good Place season one is all on Netflix and it's only 13 episodes. So it it starts out a little bit uneven. You You're not sure kind of where the show is going to go and it trust me it pays off because by the time you get to about the halfway point of the season you start to realize how detail oriented the writing mm-hmm. of this show is and how much attention they paid uh, to just fleshing out this world this afterlife setting of of, mm-hmm. of this neighborhood that's supposed to be paradise and, and heaven mm-hmm. um it, it's just it's incredible I mean, it, it's really easy to binge because the episodes I was uh, I think I was talking about uh, talking with you about this the other day, but I feel like they film all the episodes in a block together because it's literally like one episode ends. The next episode picks up exactly where the last yeah, one yeah. ended. It's, so it's very easy to just kind of plow through. They're only like 22 minutes each. Yeah, it's the very, very rare serialized network comedy. That it does is. not happen. And see, it never really dragged for me. Like, I mean, the first few episodes there, I still thought that they were good like even yeah. like really yeah, good solid but it, it really finds its place around like episode four or five I, i'd say that the show keeps getting better and better like it started out as like a good to like really good show yeah, like and then good. it got to being like really a great good. show yeah. and now it's just it's excellent it's the best thing on television yeah, right now season two um is about four episodes in now uh, we haven't seen or Four episodes. No, wait, the first we, episode yeah. was a, or the first week was a two-parter. Yeah, Drew, you haven't seen episode four. No, but at this point, it is an excellent show. Like it yeah. has grown to be pretty much essential viewing. Yeah, if you season wanna... two, they put their. I mean, they're done laying premise. They're done like revealing huge twists. So now they're just putting their fucking foot on the gas in season yeah. two. Like it, it becomes even higher and concept you... than a show about the afterlife, mm-hmm. which is already high concept. And you do get the sense that they're not making this up as they go along. No, like yeah, there are a lot of very always talented yeah. people Mike sure working a, hard on this. Yeah, Mike sure is a plan boy. Um, so do you guys want to get into spoilers now? Oh, well, I just want to say, uh, one other thought that I had while watching it is there were multiple points while watching the show where when you watch like 
a network TV show like that, there you get to the point where you think like, okay, I'm I know where this is going. I'm ahead of the TV show, mm-hmm. and this show is so good at flipping yeah. that on Dude, you. Yeah, you and don't even if know. even if you do know where it's going, it still finds a way to surprise you and entertain you in the best possible way. Yeah, it's like, delightful. Everybody needs to watch The Good Place. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, Ted Danson is uh, Bay. Yeah, yeah, I'd fuck. Um, okay, so let's get into spoilers. So now. yeah, if you haven't seen the Good Place, Skip go ahead. watch it. Skip ahead. Look um, at the uh, the marker. Yeah, please don't DJ. listen to this because there is so much value in not knowing what happens in and this where show the show is going and being surprised by it. So spoiler marker right now. Okay, so. There's a lot of reveals over the course of season one. Like, you learn that heaven isn't perfect, obviously. She doesn't belong. Then you find out other people don't belong there. They keep referencing the bad place. Um, yeah. It's constantly referred to as the place, as like essentially hell. Yeah. And so then, we know it's coming because they keep setting it up. They keep referring so, to it. But yeah, finally, the big fucking like sixth sense level reveal at the very, very end of the season one finale. Eleanor finally realizes that they're in the bad place. They're not even they're in hell and Ted Danson is they, putting on an yeah. act. And they've been ev- there all along. And every single person that's in the good place, aside from Tahani and Jason and Eleanor and uh Chidi, are all performers. They're all actors. Yeah. yeah. They're all like other demons acting. working in the bad place. Which one of my problems with season one was like they're not really fleshing out anyone except for this little tiny ensemble. That's why they were all acting. They couldn't flesh it out. <laughs> they weren't human. This is a yeah, it's a huge reveal. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video I sent, but there's a Vulture video because Mike Schur didn't tell anyone oh, yeah. except for... Uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Yeah, they were the only two actors that knew that they were in the bad place. So there's Kristen Bell took a video of when Mike Schur is telling the the rest of the ensemble, and it's so funny to watch. <laughs> yeah, Everyone is just gasping. It's great. That's why yeah. there's like such authentic acting yeah. in it. Like It yeah. seems so real. Another a character who I love uh, in season two is in season one, she's set to be the real Eleanor. And now in season two, because there are all these attempts to make the bad place work, and every single time that they try and set up this bad place, the gang always figures it out. And that's what happened in the last uh, in episode three of season two. Yeah. Is, they just, it's just, a, basically a montage episode of hundreds and hundreds of different attempts at making this bad place yeah, work. Ted Danson keeps trying over and over, yeah. even though his superiors tell him he's not supposed to keep trying. He keeps doing it because yeah. he's too cowardly to say that he has yeah. failed. And and now there's this, uh, this amazing subplot that all the people who are acting hate doing this because they're, what they're used to is the traditional bad place, which is just standard torture. Like torturing yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. And so now they're being asked to act and so they're all unhappy and they're like striking and Ted Danson has to deal with all of that shit. Ted Danson essentially wants to try something different in terms of torture. He, he doesn't to try more psychological yeah, torture. Yeah, he doesn't than... want it to be physical torment. He wants it to be psychological yeah. torment. So we're opened up to these great new subplots that are, uh, I just, I love season two so far. Yeah. It is, the, the speed with which the show is going now is insane. Considering, I mean, we can now think of season one as one attempt to torture these people. Season two so far, there have been hundreds. Yeah, like they—that's what I meant by foot on the gas. It's years have passed by. Like we didn't get to see all of it, obviously, but years passed by in the last three episodes. Yeah, and I I think just that by itself shows you that the big reveal at the end of season one felt totally natural. I mean, like it was a big surprise, but it makes sense because they had set up the bad place. We were expecting Mm -hmm. the bad place to be introduced, Mm -hmm. and the way they introduce it is such a 
cool twist that you don't see coming. Mm-hmm. And Ted Danson's evil laugh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ooh, it's so good. But now it's season two with it being this even more heightened concept of of Ted Danson like repeating the same thing over and over and erasing their memories hundreds of times like how this is not something that we could have possibly mm. predicted no. or even imagined that I the really, show was going to I can't going wait to, to rewatch season 1 cuz I just want to look for all the little like hints in Ted Danson's character to see like they yeah. He's like the mastermind of all of this. Yeah, this is going to be a show that is great for rewatching. I, I can't wait to see where season two goes. Like, yeah. I am down for anything, and I can't possibly yeah. imagine Especially what they're going to do. Especially with what happened at the end of the last episode that you watched, Drew, where Ted Danson announces, like, hey, I'm on your side. I'm working with you now. Because he basically, he has to keep all this together. Otherwise, he's going to be, like, he's going to join them in this, like, torture world he's going to be quote-unquote retired yeah because he's he's broken the rules he's yeah. not supposed to you know keep erasing so their he's minds just like over and over. So he's just like hey all right i'm teaming up with you guys like yeah let's do this 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 whole show like mike sure is one of the most underappreciated people in television and comedy period just because he's behind the camera people who know comedy know him definitely i mean he's mo's on the office so you've seen him yeah but when you're, I mean, he has his hand in some of the best yeah. comedies that have ever aired on TV. When your worst show is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a good show, yeah. like, holy shit. Like, this guy is incredible. He's a Harvard guy. He went to Harvard. He was on the Lampoon there. He did. Uh, he wrote for SNL for a long time in the early 2000s during the Will Ferrell little golden era. Um, he's just, like, that's why I had trust in this show. He is so, like, he's meticulous. He plans everything out. Even in shows that are more episodic, like The Office and Parks and Rec. Like those shows, both their last seasons were unreal. But it, the most refreshing thing, at least for season one of The Good Place, is that we didn't get another attempt to try to recreate the magic of The Office. No. Because that's what season one of Parks and Rec felt yeah, like. Yeah, definitely. I definitely. mean, Parks and Rec became its own thing with its with its own But season one and, of Parks and, and Rec is almost unwatchable. Like, yeah, it's, it's really... It's trying so hard It's trying to be so the hard to be The Office with all these, like, yeah. talking head moments and all this stuff, and it's like, yeah. I just want to watch The Office. Yeah, I mean, it grew into its own, and it's, it stands yeah. on, on, its, on its own as a great show. But anytime separate. that I try and rewatch Parks and Rec, I pick up a season two yep, for sure so this the, i feel like i genuinely feel like this show is mike sure using his clout to be like okay i've done like more standard stuff now i want to do something that no one's ever done and he's before. never done something yeah. this episodic too and this plot yeah. heavy no one has done something like this like this is this is a crazy show um and i i'm i have full faith in him and his abilities to plan out yeah and just his team like the cast is great yeah. everyone all everyone is doing such a great job playing mm-hmm. these characters everyone came into their own kristen bell i didn't buy so much in season 1 because she was just for most of season 1 like probably half of it she was just like a straight up bad person and she's too i don't know she seems too white bread angel faced for me to just be delivering these lines like uh, I don't play that homeboy. Yeah. Like, but then she, I mean, sh- her character evolves and that's when Kristen Bell's good acting comes into play mm-hmm. when she becomes this nuanced person who's learning to be good. Um, so all the characters get more nuanced. You learn that Chidi isn't black and white good either. He's, yeah. he is indecisive and it's ruining his friend's lives. Yeah. Uh, Jason annoyed me at first and he becomes like one of the funniest people in the yeah. whole show. He's like, it's, essentially it's really, an idiot. I agree. Like whenever he first, broke out from being Jianyu the monk like yeah. his character kind of rubbed me the wrong way yeah, it's, I but, think for me it was the dumb voice 
his relationship with Janet is incredible. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Janet in general is just like yeah. amazing. Janet, yeah, she's a great improviser. Uh, she's been in the UCB. Yeah, she scene. basically plays like a Alexa Siri. Who's the actress? I don't know her name. I don't okay. remember it. But she, yeah, this is going to be a come up for her. She is so, she's very talented. Her and Jason together is an amazing plot line. It's so funny. Yeah, and then you you have Adam Scott showing up for an extended cameo. Do you think he's ever coming back on the show? I, I would rather um, them just keep bringing in people just that people. yeah people that Mike Schur has worked with before have a uh, Steve Carell show up yeah. Chris Pratt Chris Pratt dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris just Pratt just stop by for a day in between filming the Guardians yeah. movies you know um, I would I would love that the also uh, Tahani and Chidi are both great actors William Jackson Harper and Jamila Jamila yeah. both of them yeah. have never done and anything of we note. should say that they made sure to keep a, a diverse cast like we have oh yeah a black male a uh like like what is it, what is she, is she like Hispanic or uh, Asian? I mean, in in the show, she's made Middle to be, Eastern to be to be Indian. Indian, Indian. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, then we have um, an what is Asian he like? male? Yeah, Asian, like Which, Korean yeah, or an, something. An Asian lead, even in an ensemble cast, is so rare. Asians yeah. are underrepresented in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and he's great. He, like I said, like he really comes. And they really, own. they did like the anti-Asian stereotype by making him yeah. the biggest idiot. Exactly. Out of yeah. everybody. Yeah. None of these characters cool are stereotypes. Yeah. They're all their own individual people. It has a great message. And it's Mike Schur's second show that is starring a woman, mm-hmm. which is rare. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a great, I don't know. Just, I, this show has become better than I thought it could ever be. It's a great show. I really wonder like how long this can last for because I feel like this is a show like we said everything is so planned out. I feel like he has like a season marker in time. He's like, "All right, I have this plot line. I want to run this whole thing out. It'll be four seasons and then that's it." Something mm. like that. Like Yeah, I I would prefer that to yeah. them sort of I don't uh, want it to meander yeah, and, and I, like I don't the wheels want are spinning it's, and they're trying to yeah. make it up it's definitely but not going to so be far, like how I met your mother yeah, where it's just like yeah, yeah it's, well so far I just like I feel like it's so well planned out that he has an end date in mind he yeah, has so. one story that he wants to tell and he's going to spread it off however many seasons I mean he, yeah he has the assurance that they, they're going to let it run NBC yeah. is not yeah. going to be like sorry Mike and I really don't think that it's going to blow up like The Office or um Parks and Rec. It's going to stay, you know, modestly mm-hmm. rated. Um, speaking of which, though, the smartest move that they could have possibly pulled, which they did, is putting season one on Netflix. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because you have to. I mean, if someone just turned on season two and they're like, hey, I should just check out this show. I've, there's some good buzz. You'd, you wouldn't understand what was happening. Even yeah. with that, there's a good recap in the season two premiere. But still, putting it on Netflix was a stroke of genius by whoever yeah. well i mean that is that's that. the thing that's going to work against it for general audiences because with the office and parks and rec you can just hop in any episode you see on tv yeah. it's like oh yeah i can just pop this on with a show like the good place it's very very episodic and you need to watch it in order yeah once you've watched through it all you can go back and yeah. rewatch certain episodes and all that but yeah. it you need to see the entire context of the show before you exactly. can just pop on a random so, episode yeah so i'm sure that part of the plan here is that they're going to uh, they're going to keep on putting the newest season on streaming. Yeah, well, so season two, up. season two is on Hulu now because Hulu does have that mm-hmm. as it airs. Um, so you can, if you have Hulu, you can check out the newer episodes. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's the good place. NBC, make okay. sure. So we really, can, really good. So we can end the spoiler stamp right there. Really quick before we go to the break, I want to talk about a show I feel is underappreciated. 
um, and is a lot better than it gets a rep for among certain circles. New Girl. You guys watch New Girl at all? I used to watch it when I it was never, first airing. I never really got into New Girl. It was really good at first. Like yeah. the male characters are so fucking funny. Yeah, what about but the I, girl characters? I never women? I never felt that Zoe Deschanel was doing anything special. I don't no. think Zoe is anything special as no, far she, as acting goes. She's done she's had some good roles in movies, but on this show she's just like playing well, this like yeah, that's, caricature of herself. See, that's what drove people away from the show is people saw her and they I'm sure they were like, "Well, she's She's not funny. Um, and the show does have a lot of improvisation in it. And she does she does fine. She's never like the, you know, the focal point, like the big laugh of the show or yeah. whatever. But the performances put in by Jake Johnson and the Schmidt. Yeah. Dude, he's so fucking they, funny. Oh my god. They both are fucking powerhouses. Yeah. They are killing it every single episode. And the writing is so much better than I thought it would be. I would put this show above Brooklyn Nine Nine. I it's fucking hilarious. Like it has quality jokes. One of the biggest writers. It's still going, isn't it? Yeah, like season eight or some shit. It's I don't know how it is uh, as of recent. I know they did an entire season without Zoe Deschanel. Really? Yeah, hmm. she was on jury duty in quotes, which means that she was probably working on something else. But I mean, by by most accounts, and now she's back. Yeah, See, but my biggest problem with Zoe Deschanel is I feel like she plays the same character in every role. She's just like, look at me, I'm so indie. Like yeah. I'm just like yeah. an so indie hip. girl. Like the, I'm not like the other girls. Well, the biggest pitfall, I play ukulele. The biggest pitfall of the show is that her character tends to be the source of all the problems, and so she gets a bit a bit unredeemable. Um, because eventually you're just like, come on, like yeah. she's just fucking everything. I up. mean, there's a there's a soft spot in my heart for Zoe Deschanel because Five Hundred Days of Summer is one of my oh, favorite I mean, I love Five Hundred Days time. of Summer, but JGL is um, my boy. But anyway, yeah, Jake Johnson, Max Greenfield is Schmidt. Uh, Hannah Simone is really good as Cece. And oh then, yeah, she is really yeah. good. And her then, whole relationship with Schmidt is like a crazy yeah. good arc. And in then the show. Uh, Winston, who's played by Lamorne Morris, they all have. The back and forth of this show is is just as good as any show. Like the back and forth dialogue is yeah. great. The plot lines, I mean, the whole premise of the show is unbelievably simple. So I mean, the plot lines aren't like who's incredible. that girl? Yeah, it's. Just... I mean, it's yeah, it's like a modern Friends almost. It's just a bunch of young people living together. Um, but it's just the writing is very special of it. Um, in it, it has one of my favorite uh, writers who you can follow on Twitter. Also, I'm blanking on his name. Because it's early, folks. <laughs> we're recording. It's six thirty in the morning. We're watching the sunrise. Um, oh, Noah Garfinkel, who has worked on a bunch of good stuff, but he has writing credit for. He's written on sixty-six episodes of this show. There's plenty of other good, like Joe Wanger, who's a great comedian improviser. It just it has like genuinely special writing in it at points. There's like transcendently funny comedy in there. It's not the best show of all time. It has it has issues, but I think it's worth watching, and I think a lot of people wouldn't give it a chance. Based yeah, on the I premise. think the first couple seasons are really strong. Um, I can't speak for the newer stuff because it, it, it kind of lost my my interest. It just got to a point where it just felt like it wasn't really progressing. It was sort of the yeah. same thing, and they never really took it to a, a place of interest. Mm. You know, after after a show just starts to get into like season four, season five, and it doesn't really make a big change. Mm -hmm. I can't really stick with it. And I know that there's been shows like Friends or Seinfeld or whatever that thrive in that, in not changing and yeah. just being like, you know, sitcoms. Like, that's the whole exactly. sitcom thing. Yeah, I can't speak for the newest stuff either. And it, yeah, it, it does not change that much. But I would say watch the early seasons and I'm, I think that you'll be surprised. 
I don't know who you are that's listening. <laughs> I wish I knew every single one of you folks. To all you you De Chanel fans yeah. out there. I had, I had always like I had seen some of it mostly. I'd never really paid full attention to it. But I've been watching it recently. Like Allison got me onto it, and it is. I was I've been very surprised. Like I, in the context of modern TV comedy, it has like top five dialogue of any. Is it on? Any is show. it on Netflix? All of it? Yes, it's on. Yeah. Well, shit, it might be Hulu. I don't even. Yeah, know. I, it's definitely on Hulu. It's streaming somewhere. Look for it. Watch the early seasons, and I think that you'll be surprised. Yeah. It's it's a worth a watch. That's hmm. New Girl. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. And when we get back, we are talking Blade Runner 2049. And the first one. Yeah, and no, we're, we're talking other Denis. Denis. Yeah, yeah, we're talking Denis. Full and, Denis discussion. Uh, and the new Blade Runner film. So be right back. podcast is brought to you by attack ships on fire on the horizon this podcast is brought and we're to back you by hey like guys. goodbye goodbye frozen <laughs> goodbye frozen like hello fresh but worse yeah and we're back <laughs> please give us a sponsorship <laughs> we're so desperate please we're, give we're us proving things. ourselves aren't we we can yeah we're making people want to buy shit that doesn't exist that's all good. This we podcast are. is brought to you by Super Burger. <laughs> oh, God. R.I.P. Super Burger. <laughs> they put cocaine in the sauce. Yeah. Super Burger. You want to do a late night drug deal? <laughs> Super Burger. <laughs> Super Burger. Super Burger. We- Definitely not a front. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> okay. We're talking Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Before we uh, get into our review of Blade Runner 2049. So Villeneuve has um, really made a name for himself. And limited time, too. Yeah, he started out just making Canadian films. He's a French-Canadian filmmaker. And it wasn't until he got a project called Prisoners starring um, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal that he really came strong into the scene as like, which is his first American movie. And that's, we've only ever seen the three of us have only ever seen as American films. Mm -hmm. So let's, yeah, let's start with uh, prisoners. I really, that's, it's a really good movie. It's top three of his, I'd say. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, he doesn't, like you just said, he doesn't write any of his movies. Um, So he, the biggest thing about Vin and the wave is he makes the most of what he's given material wise and so this movie was shot like you would expect a dark, gritty crime drama movie mm. to be shot. Uh, and it's a good movie. It's it's well written. It's just a pretty straightforward, uh, very tense mystery of Hugh Jackman's son has been abducted and Jake Gyllenhaal is the cop that's on the case. Yeah. And Villeneuve gets amazing performances out of these mm. two very, very talented actors. I think that this may be one of Jackman's strongest performances. Like he is just this 
father who wants to find his missing kid and he is willing to do whatever it fucking takes mm-hmm. to get his kid back. Mm-hmm. And and Hall does some, he has a great performance too as this cop who's like under an incredible amount of duress. Hall did some, some pretty method shit where he had like this blinking tick throughout the whole movie that gets worse as his stress increases. Yeah. Um, well, is Prisoners based on a true story? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. No? no. Okay. Never mind then. Um, I will say one of the best things about Denis is that he has this style to pretty much almost all of his movies. That's one of my favorite directorial styles that it's not like a J.J. Abrams lens flare or something like that. That's like overbearing or anything like that. But it's something that you watch it and has a very unique feel and tone to it. That's really unlike most anything else. Yeah. I mean, you get with any good director um, at least when it comes to the the visuals and the uh, mise en scene, like the the picture you're seeing on screen, it really speaks to the talent of the of the director. When you get a sense of texture, when you're able to sort of look past this being a fictionalized story or a you know performance by actors, and you're able to just lose yourself in the world. And, and forget that these are actors and sets because you can almost reach out and touch what's in front of you in the screen. Like, you're immersed. Mm-hmm. And Denis does that like unlike any other person working mm-hmm. today in this new generation of, of filmmakers. And that moves right into his next film that he made, which is one of my top 10, top 15 favorite mi- films of all time. I absolutely love this movie. It's Enemy. Also it's, starring Jake Gyllenhaal yeah, Jake in a Gyllenhaal, dual role. Two different, two different Denis films. Uh, Enemy was made in 2013. It was released uh, widely in 2014. There, it had a terrible box office, mm-hmm. which makes sense if you've ever seen Enemy because <laughs> it's a very, very cerebral film, and it's a film that, like, it's a movie that's not made for white audiences because it takes doing some homework and really thinking about what you're seeing and what the imagery means. Yeah. But it's as difficult f- to follow what's going on. Like, you're almost dumbfounded at, as, yeah. As to, you're confused and you're just much like the main character. You, you don't know what's happening. You're, yeah. you're trying but, to, to put these pieces together. But what's great is that. Whenever you figure stuff out, it, that movie really clicks. Mm-hmm. And it's unlike a movie where I can't think of a great example. I think like the best example might be something like David Tree of Life. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but something like like Tree of Life, for example, where it's imagery just for the sake of imagery. Yeah, and it doesn't it's all necessarily disconnect. Yeah, exactly. It's disconnected. Where with enemy, everything has a purpose. And when you see something, there's some reoccurring images that you see. And once you figure out what those images mean and what they stand for, it adds this whole other layer to the movie. And it's mm-hmm. not explicit. It's not like detailed and and explained to the audience, which is why a lot of people have different interpretations of what oh, this yeah. movie means. It's it's definitely a movie that benefits from uh, existing in the YouTube generation because where people break it down mm-hmm. and right after it. yeah right after we watched it, we looked up what does that mean, and there are Stuckman has a really good analysis. Of yeah, that, of there, enemy, yeah, actually. we watched several analysis videos mm-hmm. because it's. A movie and they're all slightly different. Everyone has yeah, like because you can. It's, that's what's beautiful about it is, like any great cerebral movie, it has its own interpretations that you can take from it. Yeah. Um. And then I mean, obviously, there are interviews with the writer of the novel that it's based on, Jose Saramago. The double. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, mm. And they, he has his own interpretation. So that's the one that's, you know, canon. But it, either way, it's a movie that, yeah, I agree with you in that a lot of movies can be annoying and how vague they are and there's no real explanation. This one has one. It's just one that isn't intuitive necessarily. But once you find out what it is, you're like, oh, and you really you mm-hmm. like it. Like, yeah. I liked it more once I realized. And me, I think the first time because we watched that movie, all three of us together, and then I watched it by myself like a day later or something <laughs> like that. I just like I had to rewatch that movie. I probably seen that movie seven or eight times and now. each time like, you get more out of it you get more and more out of it and you and uncover more details it's one of those movies um like there's there's a recurring theme in his films that there's kind of a cyclical nature to it all that there's this kind of i mean i'm not gonna spoil anything uh directly but there's this whole sense of i don't i don't want to say purgatory but it's kind of this whole like trapped in these like trapped in this routine of doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. right recursive. and repeating repeating your own mistakes yeah recursive mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah I would also definitely. the film has one of the most visually and emotionally striking endings of any movie I've i ever i seen was in my life. dumbfounded yeah. by that like, like you that are ending, shocked you're just like your mouth is gaping yeah. and you're like what I was, the fuck I was it probably has the biggest what the fuck ending yeah. of any movie i've ever seen i was actually fucking terrified oh, yeah. of that ending it's the a, first time I saw the it. The last shot is scary. Yeah. Very scary. And then it just ends and you're just left there. Yeah, with, you're like, what? With your shock and you're like, <laughs> holy fuck. <Because laughs> this movie. <laughs> the ending actually, it's entirely different, but it reminds me of the ending of Whiplash where there's no true resolution. Yeah. The resolution in Whiplash sort of is jolted. one, it's a look between the two of them. There's no, the only resolution that they have in uh, Enemy is the last shot of this look at uh, between the Jake, two. Gyllenhaal's, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal's face and he just has this little smirk and yeah. that's it. I yeah. love that so that's much. That's so good. Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing in that movie. He is. So, so good. I, yeah, I hope they pair up again because they've paired up twice already. Jill and Hall and Villain Wave. I mean, yeah. Enemy is definitely not a movie for everybody, but I think if you really like psychological movies like that, movies that make you think, I cannot recommend Enemy enough to people. Yeah, it's a weird one, yeah. and it's definitely worth watching. If you enjoy really thinking about what you're seeing and just getting deep in, in analyzing and, and and you know breaking it down, it's one of the best movies to do that in because there's enough there to just get lost in it and and really like try to make your own conclusions and try to you know gather everything that the film gives you and you know work with that with your own interpretation and come to some conclusion as to what the movie means to you yeah. a lot of people don't like that um, a yeah. Lot, yeah, I mean, a I mean, there's just, a reason it only made 3.4 million. Yeah. People just want it to office. be easy a lot of times. Yeah, they, they want don't want to work. They don't want watching movies to be work. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's fair. If, if yeah. you're into that, you can't blame me. Some people want to, you know, de-stress watching it. Exactly. They don't want to be like, what the fuck was that yeah. shit? But it's fun to watch. If you're listening to a film podcast, you probably are into analyzing film, yeah. or else what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a good one. And then his next one was 2015's Sicario, which I haven't seen, but you guys have. Yeah, this yeah. is a film starring Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro, and um, uh, Josh Brolin, mm-hmm. and it's about the Mexican cartel and the whole relationship that they have to American law enforcement, and all these blurred lines between what we are told are the good guys and the bad guys in a conflict like this, 
Um, and we it's a movie told through the eyes of the main character, Emily Blunt, who is sort of this, uh, not naive, but just kind of like inexperienced mm-hmm. cop who, you know, if you think about when you become a cop, the type of people that become cops are trying to, you you'd assume they're trying to do good and they're right. trying to help yeah the community and and the and the country and everything it, so this is you get a sense that she is just a good person trying to do good things but she's exposed to this world of just very gray areas it, and, and it really is reminiscent morality. of a training day yeah, uh, yeah, just kind of like that blurred yeah. lines between are the good yeah. guys really the good guys? Yeah, Sicario, especially with Benicio's. If character. you're really looking for like a great intro into uh, um, Denise' filmography, it's Sicario's, probably his most accessible. Yeah, it's film. definitely his most accessible film. I'd say it probably has the least Denis f- feeling of any of his films. Um, he puts like the least amount of his own vision and charm yeah, into it. It doesn't really get still, that weird. It's still excellently shot really really well acted especially by benicio del toro del toro he's amazing in that movie even emily blunt's really good it's a really Again, really he solid gets film so he gets the best performances out of his actors mm-hmm. like he's able to just make these performers connect with their characters in such a, a, a an excellent and, and robust and strong way that you 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 not only don't, you don't get the sense that that they're in separate movies they're all part of the world and they're all digging deep into the roots of their characters mm-hmm. and really just getting to the meat of it i i don't i can't think of a single lead performer in denise films that feels like hollow or mm-hmm. or phoned in or yeah. anything like that that's why he's so great he's great at getting performances out of people and then he's great at cinematography and then i mean we'll get into his later catalog but we learn that he is great at effects oh yeah visual he's effects amazing at mixing yeah. so he really has no weakness as a director yeah yeah and that moves right into like speaking of getting the best out of his uh his actors right into arrival oh yes. i think this is this is my favorite amy adams performance i I think it was the best. She was robbed by it not was, even being nominated yeah. for an Academy Award. No, no, no. Award. It was the Shit. best. It was the best female acting uh, lead of last year, and she didn't even get yeah. a nomination. Meanwhile, which is Meryl really Streep got a nomination for some mediocre movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, me. But yeah, I just saw this for the first time, and I'm excited to talk about it with you guys because I loved this movie, um, and it made me so excited for the new Blade Runner because yeah. this, as a directed, like it is. The directing is flawless. It's Denny's first full-on sci-fi feature. Yeah, you know, it's it's about an alien invasion, but it's done in a way that no other alien invasion yeah. movie yeah. has ever well because d- done it. Well, because you think it's going to be an invasion, and it's not. Yeah, it's, it's more of a visitation. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's more of a story about communication than it is a exactly. sci-fi story. Ascent- yeah, it's a story about sixteen or so of these giant like floating oblique spheroid uh yeah, alien imagine pods. imagine like a flying saucer but vertical yeah mm. vertical like egg type thing yeah. they they just like start floating above they're scattered across the globe so like the governments and but militaries they're just sitting there of, they're, yeah. they haven't attacked or made much contact no. or anything yeah so the governments and militaries of all these different countries are trying to deal with these things in their own ways uh, some more aggressively than others. Amy Adams is brought in as an expert linguist to try to communicate with them. So the meat of the story is her kind of learning their vocabulary, which is expressed mi- way different from our language. It's a really high concept thing where like it's emotions and things are conveyed in these like circular ink blot things. Yeah, that, um, much like 
like Chinese or uh, Japanese symbols that mm. uh, aren't necessarily words, but more like phrases mm-hmm. or or ideas mm-hmm. in a in a single uh, image yeah. or symbol. And uh, but one thing I did want to say is with Amy Adams' character, you get the sense that she is being brought in as not like a last resort, but as like like they've they've tried ways to con- to communicate with these aliens. Like they've tried yeah, different ways she's to the, try. She's and the then, second linguist that they brought in. Yeah, the first one couldn't even go because to get up to communicate with them, you have to go through their uh, spaceship type deal, which is like kind of a portal to whatever dimension they're in. So you get to the end of it and there's like no, the gravity shifts and you're like looking through like what seems like a giant glass wall and you can see these cloudy, weird uh, figures, which is what they yeah. are. They look Heptapods, like the pods they call. Yeah. Them. They look kind of like uh, squids, but on, yeah. you know, land assuming. And I got to say the production design of the inside of that spaceship is so cool. Oh, I mean, it Arrival has great. some of the best imagery. It's so like, simple. It's, so it's, it's just good. a big room with a giant like But screen. it's unforgettable. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's images that just get stuck in your head and they stay there. Yeah. And then, so the the meat of the storyline, like I was saying, is word by word, her learning their language and teaching them our language so they can try to communicate before another more aggressive country like China takes military action and ends up starting launching well, missiles. And that, yeah. That's another thing that I love. Everyone. That's another thing that I love so much is that it's very realistic onto how people would actually react mm-hmm. if an alien life form. I mean, I we just talked about a uh, last podcast or podcast before that that I just saw ET and it's one of the things that I appreciate that movie and rewatching it is people's reaction to an alien life yeah. or landing. And with, when we talked about close encounters. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah, same. Like the best alien encounter movies are stuff where humans are handled really realistically in the way that we would react. If there was an alien spaceship that just landed on Earth, people would be losing their shit. Like, Show me what you got. (laughs) Certain, like, stations of media would just be calling for us to, like, bomb them and, -hmm. like, this is meant as a threat and all these these kinds of things. Because we don't understand it, so we want to lash out. Exactly. The the main theme of the movie is communication and understanding of people different from us, um, which is, you know, obviously a very uplifting theme. The movie has some really, really cool talk about linguistics, which is something that's Mm -hmm. hard to make interesting for a mass audience. But I, I mean, I love learning about like languages and linguistics and it's just, it's, it's fascinating. I don't, yeah, I don't really want to spoil it for in case anybody sees it, but like there are some heart wrenching moments in this movie. Mm. Like as Amy Adams is starting to understand the nature of the language that they're speaking, Mm -hmm. it really, towards the end, it really, really affected me on a very visceral emotional level. Yeah. And and the, I think the core theme here with the whole um, language idea is that she, as a linguist, understands this, uh, I guess, not theory, but uh, concept that the language that you speak affects the way you perceive yeah, the world. which is a, uh, um, I need, I think it might be the Worf hypothesis or it's something. I really... need to look up exactly what it is, but that's a common... Uh common like theory in language and in um, like psychology and stuff like that is that the way that you speak your language affects the way that you think definitely and um, that's it's very true like if you're from a culture that speaks in phrases or something yeah, like that like that's like how you think like i was saying think. with the asian symbols or even uh, a language like hebrew or uh, farsi or arabic where you know it's written right to left instead of left to right mm-hmm. um that is going to impact 
the way you think and the way you perceive the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough for us to uh, visualize or understand that or, or try to sympathize with that because you know we're strictly Western us. Uh, you know western civilization Mm -hmm. english speakers so yeah we're we're kind of trapped in our own little Mm -hmm. bubble here in terms of what we think of of the world and and our and our language but it kind of puts you in this other headspace to think like huh maybe people that speak like japanese or chinese or any of these other languages from the other side of the world they probably think differently than us and see the world in different ways that's the kind of yeah that's what i was talking about where it's like I wouldn't imagine these cool conversations about linguistics and how language informs psychology to be on a big screen, but they make it work. They make it interesting. Um, the, the, the whole storyline watching her learn their language and them learning ours is very satisfying to watch. Oh yeah. Extremely. And by the way, for those who are interested, if, any psychology fans out there? It is the it's the Saper Wharf hypothesis is what the theory is. Really, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. I remember uh, learning about it in like psychology classes and stuff like that, like years ago. I always thought the concept was really interesting, but it was just so satisfying seeing it portrayed in a movie. Especially a science fiction movie. It's like unlike anything that I've ever seen in a movie before. And Arrival is a movie that it really gets better and better with each watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's based on a short story, um, so it's not fully original, but it it really takes the, the short story and just blows it up to the big screen in this grand way yeah most of the like the most of the military plot lines were not in the original story the original story was more about amy adams's character struggle with dealing with the information that she is given by these aliens uh which is a great you know that that kind of comes more into focus toward the end of the movie but um yeah they added elements to make it more suitable for the big screen i've talked to people who went into it wanting more of like an action movie because that's what we're trained to expect Mm -hmm. from alien movies is like, you know, fucked up shit happening. But it's a really well, like uh, if you look back at trailers and stuff for arrival, it's like, it doesn't portray it as an action movie whatsoever. Yeah. People, people just, you know, were, they were informed to think that, but I don't know. I mean, people were disappointed like that I've talked to, but I love this movie. I, love I, it. I loved it a lot more than I would like a, a yet another movie about us fighting aliens. Yeah, We've had enough like of shooting those. There's really only a couple points in Arrival that I really did not care for. Jeremy Renner's character I was not a fan of. Mm. I, thought he, Especially, I thought he did a fine I thought he job. did fine. There's one moment that is the only moment in the movie that takes me out of it, and I won't actually say what is discussed, but um, there's this like voiceover exposition yeah dump i know what you're that, talking about oh, that yeah. it yeah. totally it's definitely like i'm willing to bet money that it's something that they showed it to they test audiences on. and they were just like yeah nobody understands what the yeah fuck they were is like happening. we need to know so more. we have to just have jeremy renner give a voiceover right and here you get no context as to what is he like giving yeah, an he interview to it yeah. really doesn't it, yeah it's like he's just making they like never a say voice diary or it's, something it's just for the audience like, that was a clunky part the only issues i had with this movie were scripting issues like that and then oh i really also did not care for mark o'brien's character i hated him in halt and catch fire <laughs> oh yeah tom from yeah halt. tom and halt and he played captain marks one of the military guys yeah. and, i mean he's it's understandable he's his essentially actions. like a trump supporter yeah yeah they, they yeah they they added this little subplot that wasn't in the original story and it's about this small group of uh, army soldiers who are they're in on the mission originally because the military's in on it but then they are watching this like radio host like some breitbart shit yeah he's like, like an alex jones type yeah. and he's 
saying how we need to just like kill these aliens and they're going to kill us all. And so this small group of soldiers ends up like formulating this plan where they bring they sabotage. Yeah, they the, bring explosives up into they're the like, portal. They're like, we're going to bomb these like yeah, aliens yeah. that are that, bomb much the more highly. <laughs> yeah, that whole plot line was very movie and it kind of. I mean, I understand why they added it. Yeah, but I mean, it, it creates conflict. It's, yeah, they it, needed they needed yeah. more like hard conflict, standard movie conflict. Uh, another moment that bothered me was when uh, they were choosing the linguist, and they were like, "Well, if if you're not going to do it, we're going to go to this other guy." And then uh, Amy Adams is like, "Wait, before you hire him, ask him what the definition is of war in Sanskrit." And and then what? like they go, hmm. yeah, well, no, <laughs> then they go to the other guy, and then they they come back to her house in a helicopter. And she opens the door. She's like, so what did he say? And they answer, <laughs> you know, a way to get more cows. And she's like, yeah. She gives a look like, yeah, that's what I thought. And they're like, yeah, get in. But it's like, what in what world are soldiers so symbolic and they care so much you know, about? The guy doesn't get the question right. And they're, they're like, isn't that what it is? Like, they're like, well, no, it's like, he didn't, he it didn't was, answer it. it he was didn't a, know. It was just a symbolic thing where like they were like, it, it was kind of like a thing of like this, like he sees things in like a way that isn't going to be good for communication with right, these aliens. Right, right. But there's no world that the military is thinking that emotionally. Yeah. Like and so just like showing up at her house in a helicopter. Yeah, and dramatic. they're like and yeah, and she's like, so what did he say? Like that <laughs> that whole part was a bit ridiculous. So do do we wanna get into a little spoiler section here or should we just we move should on for to a couple Runners? minutes. Just skip for like three minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Arrival, please go see it. It's one of the best sci fi movies of the decade incredible performances by especially amy adams uh she just she kind of carries the film honestly forrest whitaker is really solid in this yeah movie too. okay his boston really accent. yeah he had the weirdest boston <laughs> yeah. accent i've heard in my life i thought he was british for about 20 minutes <laughs> but the, there is a big twist in this movie that is very satisfying if you don't know okay. going into it that, so let's that recontextualizes the story yeah, so, so skip forward now go see it Go see Arrival and okay. then come back and listen. Okay, so speaking of skipping forward. <laughs> um, and skipping backwards. Yeah, the, in, the entire time, uh, like after she like communicates closely with these aliens, she's having these like f- what we're led to believe just from watching other movies is flashbacks. We're like, oh, well, also at the very beginning of the film, you see Amy Adams with this character who you assume is her daughter and then like growing up and her daughter eventually dying. And then it cuts right in to seeing Amy Adams alone in this house. Yeah, so, so you're, you're led to believe that she's had this child. Now she's like, her child is dead and she's just yeah, alone. Like by all means, you're supposed to think that was all in the past. But then like later, later on, it's slowly revealed to you that these are flash forwards that she's having to her future life with a child and marrying Jeremy Renner. Because this alien life form, like it goes back to the Worf hypothesis that they don't speak with a beginning and end to a sentence. Everything in their language is cyclical. Everything yeah. is just all they see outside. Yeah. Like time does not define. Yeah, time these is circular to them, just like their languages. And yeah. so once you learn their language, you can see into the future. Yeah, because your perception of time changes. Yeah. So eventually, we finally learn that that she is seeing into the future. She, she is seeing her life. She's remembering yeah, the future. She's, yeah, she's watching her life. Like she, she knows that she's going to have a kid with Jeremy Renner and that kid's going to die eventually. And that's cancer. what makes it so heart-wrenching at the end is that she realizes that she's seeing into the future, but she knows 
she has to go through and act everything out yeah. so that for the betterment of the entire human race. Yeah. And, well, and she just kind of, she decides to more, I, f- I felt like, because she was like, well, I felt all this love. Like, I want to. But there, no, there's a key moment. It, it is that. It is the whole emotional aspect. But it's also the whole thing with, like, the Chinese mm-hmm. um, military guy where she meets, she remembers, like, talking to him in the future. Mm-hmm. and yeah. And the way he decides to not attack the aliens is that is, she she remembers that he gave her his personal phone number and like told and, him and his wife's dying words yeah. so yeah. she yeah she ends up hijacking a military phone and calling the chinese uh leader and telling him all this stuff and that's what gets him to not nuke the aliens exactly so in the future she's talking at some event and she's like extremely famous, obviously. And she meets the the Chinese. Yeah, and guy he there. comes to her and he's like, I don't I don't want to pretend to know how your brain works, but I feel it's very important that I tell you this. And yeah. then he tells her the words. So yeah, there is that aspect to it as well. So that's why she needs to make the choice to marry uh Jeremy Renner yeah. and have a kid with him because that's the path mm-hmm. that that leads her yeah. to saving uh mm-hmm. And humanity yeah even though she knows that the kid's gonna die and she knows that she's gonna end up divorced from jeremy renner because he cannot forgive her for doing all this while knowing that their kid is going to die yeah which is understandable on his part yeah um but yeah the apparent the short story is more about her deciding to uh you know do live this life knowing how it ends well another thing that um i guess it didn't really need to be explained explained but i wanted a little bit more from it is the whole reason why the aliens explain why they come to earth is that they say that it's because um they yeah, later they, on in the future they need humanity's help yeah, with something they, yeah, it's they, never really elaborated on like what exactly that is yeah but basically they had to show up to earth so that they could teach like humans to communicate in this language where they see outside of space and time so that they can have their help far in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, that, I mean, it would have been cool to know, but I also like, I mean, I, I like this movie as an open and shut movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I don't think they needed to expand. It would have been cool, but it's it's just cool to know that they saw that and that's why they came. They didn't feel the need to tell her why, like exactly what help they would need. They just knew they would need the help. Mm. Um, and at that point, you know, the you pretty much break away from the main character, from Amy Adams, mm-hmm. and it it wasn't that kind of movie to just go all omni uh, om- omniscient yeah. and, and show something that is so. Yeah, totally no, I'm not saying I'm not saying from, I wanted like just some like flat major flash forward of them in like a major alien battle yeah, or some yeah. shit like that. <laughs> Amy Adams has a mustache. <laughs> yeah, um, she's wearing glasses to show that time has yeah, passed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, this movie. I mean, like I said, all the issues I had were scripting issues. He didn't write the script. Villanueva did a perfect job of directing this. Yeah, he's I, so talented. That one shot of where they first see the ship, and there's just these rolling clouds over the mountains uh, in Montana, and you just see the ship there is yeah. iconic. Mm-hmm. Like it is unforgettable yeah. seeing yeah. that, especially on a big screen in the theater. A- another like integral part of this movie is the score. Oh it's yeah, the score beautiful. is Johan Johansson. Yeah, it's it's haunting too. It, yeah, it makes a lot of use of just long sustained notes. Yeah. Um just to add to like the the epicness of going into an alien portal for the first yeah. time. The score made that scene. Dude, that it's scene incredible. where they're going up and the gravity changes and yeah. they start walking. Oh my god, that's it's, it's so beautiful. Cool. It's, it's so cool. It's I don't even know how they did it where they just like jump up and then you just see their bodies slowly yeah. turn and they just like walk basically vertical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. All right, um, so that brings us to Denis' next film, and 
you know, he, with Arrival, he proved that he has not only a sensibility for making big uh, uh, effects-heavy films, but also they trusted him to give him a big genre property. Mm-hmm. You know, now the, the big ticket now in Hollywood is to go back to all these nostalgic uh, mm-hmm. brands and, and recognize uh, established franchise. I don't know if you can call Blade Runner a franchise yet, but... Hollywood is just trying to go back and like mine the 80s and, yeah, and existing and, material and things that like people remember from their mm-hmm. childhood, like older generation. And they needed, they were going to make a, a new Blade Runner movie. It's been in development for so long. Originally, Ridley Scott was supposed to direct it. So it's, it's been, which thank God over. he did not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been mulled over for a long time. So we knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, especially you know, people that hold that first Blade Runner movie dearly, they were expecting Blade Runner 2049 to not be good. Because yeah. it's it usually when you go back and, and and touch something that's so beloved and is considered like a masterpiece, mm-hmm. it's not going to live up to yeah. it. So Denis had his fucking work cut out for him to not only live up to all these other movies that we've been talking about and his almost flawless filmography, but also creating a sequel to a movie that people they were just expecting it not to be as good and and really feeling like that it was being tarnished by touching that Mm -hmm. and what's what's incredible we'll get to it because i want to discuss the original blade runner first but i can't believe that he made a sequel that's arguably better than the original that's what's so yeah there's a discussion which is rare for sequels to a movie that was a long time ago mm-hmm. it's very rare so yeah let's talk about the original blade runner yeah, from we, 1982 we first. recently watched the final cut on blu-ray mm-hmm. to get a, a refresher one of the 27 different cuts of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah so the the version that came out in theaters in 1982 was a big flop um audiences didn't connect with it and critics Which you guys have never seen the theatrical cut have you I, I tried to watch it okay. and I couldn't do it. I watched I, a. I fell asleep. I have I have a um the digi book as it's called that has like six cuts of Blade Runner on it. But um, I watched the theatrical cut one day because Blade Runner. I absolutely love this movie. It's probably my second favorite Ridley Scott film ever, behind Alien. Alien yeah. Um, but watching the theatrical cut is so funny because it's like you're watching a totally different movie. And the only the major change is just that there's Harrison Ford voiceover throughout the movie, but it takes you totally out of it because Blade Runner is this amazing story, this noir detective story, and you just have Harrison Ford voiceover going like, "Oh, here I am." Nobody ever, uh, nobody ever talks about the tough parts of the job. <laughs> yeah, they tried to make it more into just like a detective movie. Yeah, and um, and he's just explaining what he's feeling. Yeah. When when really what the movie is more about is the look and the feel of yeah, it. Yeah, that's than- that's where my love for the original Blade Runner really lies. Um, I think the story is pretty straightforward. I mean, mm-hmm. o- over is. the over the years, there's been a lot of uh, dissecting as to what the ending means and what the the whole like um is Deckard a replicant or not there's just this it, it's an old movie so there's been a lot of time to sort of rewatch it and dive into it and yeah. dissect it but the story itself is pretty pretty easy to get in and follow yeah and i agree i, I think the, the 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 what i love about watching the first blade runner is just watching these 
incredible shots, these beautiful miniature sets and fully mm-hmm. realized world paired with the incredible Vangelis score. Like you're you're looking oh, at these incredible images, listening to this insanely excellent score mm-hmm. and it's just an auditory and it's, visual. It's one of the best scores ever written for yeah. a film. Like yeah. it's iconic it's beautiful like yeah there are just certain like you hear like just a little melody play and you're like yeah. oh my god i can picture the, the scene that this and is the in. saxophone yeah, yeah there's that's what the movie is about which is why it got kind of shat on for the theatrical cut it's about it's more about the silences mm-hmm. you yeah. know and so they kind of just stepped all over that but that's where this the strengths of the original blade runner are the 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 phrase every frame of painting applies where yeah. every every shot is very meticulously planned out and beautiful looking the visual effects were way ahead of their time it's unreal yeah. to mm-hmm. think how they accomplish some of these yeah. things especially like if you if we watch that and then we watch the star wars prequels you yeah. know like it's it, <laughs> yeah. this is a movie from 1982 yeah. and it did better than just a movie the, from the early the 2000s shots, the shots of deckard's a police cruiser just soaring over mm-hmm. the Los, Los Angeles mm-hmm. cityscape and seeing the darkness with seeing the neon the tower, lights. The, mm-hmm. it's, it's unreal, man. Yeah. It's absolutely the, unreal. Yeah, the movie blowing. The movie itself is very like the pacing of it because it's more based on the visuals and the feel. It's very slow. So paced. slow. Mm-hmm. A really lot takes of its time. yeah, a lot of really long shots, which is not what we're used to because we're used yeah. to movies tailored for an and the, the performances aren't that crazy See, like i i don't like know harrison I ford harrison ford is fine i, like, I think yeah. harrison ford i think the thing that makes that movie like that steps it up a notch is harrison ford acts so much with his face and he doesn't actually say yeah. anything but he'll just like give that one little like side smirk like look and you're just like it it makes you it's almost humorous yeah but like it portrays exactly what I, that character is thinking one thing that i i wrote down was he he's not the best actor but he just has the look yeah he has the mm-hmm. leading man look where you can look at his face and you see a little bit of chevy chase a little bit of tom cruise a little bit of like chris pratt um it just he just has the look of like oh i just want to see what this guy's doing he's not really doing any heavy lifting acting work like somebody like jack nicholson or gene hackman would do mm-hmm. you know these these acting heavyweights but i can't really picture someone like jack nicholson or or gene hackman in, in that role as no. deckard it, it works as harrison ford because he just kind of makes it look easy it's tough to make big uh, differentiation between Deckard and Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. Han Solo. They're all very, very similar, but it just works. Mm-hmm. It's it's just Harrison. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 what what you love um, about him. But the best acting performance of that movie is by far Rutger Hauer. Oh yeah, plays Roy. Oh my like, god, that unreal. It's he makes that movie. Like yeah, he, he's the main uh, antagonist, the replicant who is looking for a way to live because his he has an expiration date. Mm-hmm. It's it's his main driving force. He doesn't want to. Die. I mean, his whole his monologue that he gives at the end of the movie when he's up on the which he wrote himself. I did not know that. He, that's what, incredible. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's awesome. The tears, the tears in the rain monologue. He had a conversation with Ridley about that scene, and he was like, "Ridley, man, like, I really think I can do something special with this scene. Mm. Like, and just that, give me a, that, give me a crack, give me a crack at this." He went in his trailer for like a couple hours, and came back out, and he had this monologue written, and he was he like, "Let's shoot it. Let's do that it." I've seen with these eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah, that's a great moment. That's so cool that he he did that yeah. himself. Um, 
I feel a lot of people w- would not have the patience for this movie. It is like it is jarring. It's very slow. It's yeah. jarringly slow, and a lot. Of, it's fine if you don't want to watch a movie that requires a lot of patience. It's worth it if you do, though. Um, it's a good movie. It's it's flawed, but it's the biggest thing about it is it's visionary. Yeah, it is so ahead of its time. It's based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, who is one of the most... Do ahead- Androids uh, Dream of Electric yeah, Sheep? He's one of the most visionary sci-fi authors of all time. Maybe the most, where everything he's written has been... Like, you read it now and you're like, oh, fuck. Like, it all holds up and it's all more prescient now in the age of technology. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All yeah. these themes about artificial life Yeah, and he, he was writing about that what it before, means to be human. before anyone else. So it's fitting that the movie itself, like the effects of it and everything, were... A ahead of their time as well that's the the biggest strength of this movie in my opinion and this was during this was during a time when ridley was operating at the top of his game yeah Mm -hmm. he put so much work into crafting the look of this movie i mean it's definitely a movie you can understand why it bombed though like you can see why it wasn't very successful as a film yeah a the cut of it was fucked up and then b ridley did not approve of that cut he hated it and then b if you showed a a a normal theater audience the full cut they would also probably not like that yeah Yeah, just because it's it's a slow burning film it's a a movie that definitely benefit i like it like more and more with rewatching the first time i watched it i was like that was really good Mm -hmm. after seeing it four or five times i'm like this is it's it's flawed but it's a flawed masterpiece each time each time it gets better it really does i enjoy it more it's just and also it's it gets better the more you have the context of what was possible in 1982 yes if you watch the effects of movies around that time you're able to immerse yourself in a world where only those things are possible and then you watch this and you're like oh this like broke ground in a lot of ways it really is up there with a film like 2001 or something like that with like some of the best practical effects like ever used in cinema yeah like but, it's it's so so and beautiful. it really came to influence this whole subgenre of sci-fi that's like the dystopian future yeah sci-fi dark, noir dystopia yeah, the kinda. whole dark rainy aesthetic like mm-hmm. blade runner invented that you know we have so many movies like even like the matrix you know Mm -hmm. this whole like dark dystopian sci-fi it it just it comes from blade runner and that look and and just this realization of this world that you can just step right into like you when you watch blade runner you're transfixed by these images and you can you almost feel the rain coming down Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, like it's not my favorite movie. It has its flaws, but parts of it are transcendent. Um, so do you guys want to get into the new one now? Yeah. So that that brings us to 2049. This is uh, Denis Villeneuve's latest film. It takes place 30 years after the events of the original Blade Runner, and we follow Officer K, played by Ryan Gosling, and his quest to uncover this mystery that leads him to Harrison Ford's Deckard, who has been missing and and Mm -hmm. hiding for the past 30 years since the events of the original film. Let's just say that um, Warner Brothers and Villeneuve have gone to great lengths to really keep the plot, the heavy details of the plot, under wraps. Mm -hmm. They actually went as far as to try to get critics to sign legal binding non-disclosure agreements that they wouldn't talk in detail about what happens in this movie yeah Yeah, so we won't discuss anything for the plot until we get to the spoiler section but i mean we've been talking about how great vanilla villanova is at getting the best out of his actors and ryan gosling is unbelievably good in this movie i think ryan gosling is a great actor perfect casting for this role wow like he Mm -hmm. is just 
he is unlike anything else, and especially the more things that you learn about his character, because we all watched this, not really. We saw the trailer that came out, but the first trailer, but we didn't know anything about what we were getting into, and that is the best way to experience this movie. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, if you really, really, really want to go in cold, just don't listen to this until you see the movie. Don't listen to yeah. Don't listen to it. Go go see the movie and then come back. Like we're we're gonna have a heavy plot section. But if you really just don't want to know anything, just don't listen to this mm-hmm. and then come back and and hear it. But if you don't care, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. You know, as spoiler free as we can yeah. before we get to heavy spoilers. Okay, so Ryan Gosling's character is a replicant who is a Blade Runner. They have now yeah. It's replicants have evolved a lot since the last movie, and they make it explicitly clear from the beginning, which is yeah, so a it's nice, not, yeah, it's so a nice change of pace from the original Blade Runner when you you're left wondering. Yeah, you're like, is he or is he not? Yeah. With this one, you're they they. It's not a spoiler because they tell you. Like, yeah, he, he but is. That's that's one of the things that um they were trying to keep like under wraps and and so, so this bottled. whole part has to be clipped out. Mm-hmm. No, 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 <laughs> no. I'm I'm like okay. <laughs> the thing is, like, they didn't have to sign those non-disclosure agreements. They weren't forced to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, this, you can go into the movie knowing that Gosling is a replicant. Yeah, it's no, not it's a really, big reveal. No, it's revealed in the very first scene yeah. of the movie. It's really not a spoiler. But, yeah. but there just... is just, the, honestly, we can have, late, later at the end of this review, we can have a conversation about spoiler culture and you know, why I don't like to watch trailers and what that means in terms mm-hmm. of like the enjoyment of movies like this. You know, we can we can have that talk. Unless but... it's the Justice League trailer. <laughs> but no, that was good shit. But huh? yeah, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna make big um references to to the big reveals that happen towards the end of this film until we get to spoilers. But yeah, let's let's just let's just talk about Gosling is a replicant and, and the the reason why this makes sense is because the job of Blade Runners is to kill uh, other replicants. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for a Blade Runner to be a replicant because how can you have a regular human go up against this super strong, mm-hmm. super, super human, soldier. yeah, artificial life form? Mm-hmm. It, it just it makes sense yeah. and it creates this really interesting dynamic in the world where Gosling is not part of the replicant community because he works for the humans he's Mm -hmm. killing other replicants but he's not part of the human community either Mm -hmm. because they look at him as this lifeless Mm -hmm. that's what makes gosling's performance so good is just because he has we talked about this a little bit how he has such a symmetrical face and his mannerisms they seem very robotic at times and it works perfectly for this movie yeah Mm -hmm. it works so well because i will get more into it later but as the movie progresses, you can see this character him develop more, and like it, it's it's just it's incredible. I this movie is great. Basically, just general thoughts on the movie. Yeah. The movie's great. So, Go see it. <laughs> so plot wise, this movie and just general geography wise is a lot bigger than the original Blade Runner. A lot more is going on, uh, even it, though the plot is yeah. still fairly simple. There's just more, and I like that. It's I, it's a much more fleshed out version of the yeah. uh, of the original source material from Philip K Dick like mm-hmm. they 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 take as much from the first movie as they do from that original uh story to just build out this world in a way that feels fully realized that Ridley could not do even though Ridley did an insanely 
incredible job in 1982 realizing this world. The technology just wasn't there. Yeah, this is the the version yeah. of and, twenty of like Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and Los that leads Angeles. right into uh, my favorite part of this movie, which is the world building. The world building. It's one of the most immersive experiences that yeah. I've had. All in the details. There, yeah. Like I just. Whenever you're watching this movie, you are sucked in and you are a part of this world. Mm-hmm. And you're just experiencing there, all these yeah. things around you. It's unbelievable to watch. There are so many little moments where you just notice things about their technology and you're just like, that is fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's creative. It's innovative. Just the 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 imagination that they have to imagine. Because they're not imagining like a modern version of the future. They're imagining the Blade Runner universe progression exactly. of the future. Mm-hmm. That's so what cool. makes it so cool because you have all these analog pieces of tech uh, which is what they used in that 1982 yeah. film. Like, remember the scene in, in the first Blade Runner where um, Harrison Ford is talking on that public video mm. phone? And it, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. public yeah. video payphone? Things like like that. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's like an the most imaginative version of what the '80s thought technology would be like in the future. Instead of like, because we you could have a more accurate like vision for like, oh, based on what we have now, this is what it would be like in 2049. Yeah. But this is just a whole different world, and yeah. that's why you get so immersed in it. It's like it's unrecognizable, but it makes so much sense. Mm. And at this point in the world, it it really seems like replicants are the the leading uh population of earth at least of what we see of earth mm-hmm. you know we don't really venture much outside of like the los uh, angeles greater la uh las vegas area but you we don't really touch on many humans like no. most of the characters in the film yeah. are replicants and there are there are different versions of ai like ryan gosling's girlfriend in the movie yeah. is we should just holiday. go to spoilers we should just go to spoilers at this point because i i have lots of thoughts on that and i just want to okay yeah it's it's <laughs> it's tough to to talk about this movie without getting into the details so honestly well, it's visually stunning it is honestly like very, honestly honestly yeah. honestly it really is like officially, honestly, trademark TM, visually stunning. Honestly, trademark. fuck you, honestly, Dav. Yeah, yeah, it's honestly approved. And <laughs> this is a absolutely refreshing film. It takes its time. It's not a big, you know, CGI crazy action fest. It's it's a film that respects its audiences. And it's and, and it's source material and it's source mm-hmm. material and it's just one hell of a fucking movie. Go see it. It's it'll be worth it. Um, we you know we can't really get into any true criticisms of what we liked and disliked without like really discussing it. So we're just gonna go ahead and go into spoilers. Go see Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's a hell of a movie. See it on the biggest screen possible. Enjoy it and then come back and listen to the pod. Okay, spoilers. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Spoilers. Okay, so you just brought up uh, Ryan Gosling's girlfriend, and I think that was my favorite plot point of the entire movie is the way that Joy, his girlfriend, is portrayed in this world. I just found that so fascinating how she's just this hologram, and they learn to like really love each other. And they even have that one scene with uh, Mackenzie Davis's character coming in and that sex scene where you mm. just so cool visually just seeing like their two bodies, like yeah. going the, back the and forth. The effects of that, that were really cool. I have never seen 
anything like that in a movie. It was before. unbelievable watching. That. It was so well done, and just the uneasiness of seeing these two actresses like phase together into one face where you can see both of their faces yeah but at the same time it's one face it was incredibly that. well and done. their hands are are like it's like a four handed beam yeah like you see one of them move <laughs> slightly ahead of the other one yeah. and the other one like catches up it was yeah crazy Game, to watch yeah. and then what was made that like that whole relationship so like heart-wrenching is then there's a scene towards the end where somebody basically just like crushes his phone and essentially kills his girlfriend yeah, like, like that's because she just like lives on basically like a cell phone type well of he thing, has to he has to transfer her data from his home server to his uh basically like mobile device mm-hmm. because he's on the run mm-hmm. um and there is no backup it's all the data has been transferred to his mobile device there's there's nothing left in the home server so when that mobile device gets crushed that's it. Yeah. That's the end yeah. of joy. GF gets murdered. Yeah. It's the murder of something that was never alive, which is a really cool concept. The sex scene gave me the same feeling that the uh, sex scene in her gave me, where it's just yeah. weird. It's fuck. It's this weird fucking feeling of the merge of technology and sex. Same with the sex scene in the entire history of you episode of black mirror, where they're watching oh, yeah. old memories of themselves. Yeah. It's a specific disturbing. As fuck. Yeah. It's just a specific type of what am I? I was I was actually just thinking of her whenever I was watching that film is I was like, we're watching a Blade Runner movie and then it's like a little bit of her like right yeah. inside of this mm-hmm. movie. Definitely. I think, that's what's I think incredible. The, the, the romance is one of the strongest aspects of the movie, which mm-hmm. is great because in the original Blade Runner, the romance was one of the weakest parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we so, didn't talk about that in our discussion of Blade Runner. The borderline sexual assault, assault yeah, like, like it's, rape when yeah, it's really, Harrison Ford like forces himself. You're like assuming like, oh, I mean, I guess she's consenting. That was romance oh. back in the 80s. Yeah, no, literally. Well. Back in the 80s, that was sappy That's, love story. That is the yeah. worst part. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's very one dimensional yeah, and but in, fleshed out. But in 2049, you know, you have these two characters that are very well aware of their artificial nature. You know, they know that they aren't human, but they're having a very human yeah. relationship. Yeah. You can tell that they, they actually care about they each other and that they love. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're smart and they're nuanced characters. Like, it's its really a spectacle to care about something that isn't mm-hmm. real. One of the most uh, chilling moments in that whole subplot is when uh, Gosling is about to kiss her. Like she is, they're standing in the rain together on the roof of their building and they're having this really intimate moment where they're just wrapped up in each other about to just embrace and kiss. Uh, because the the before that, she was confined to a single room that had a projector. But now he gives her an upgrade where she can move around and travel with him on his mobile device. Mm-hmm. So she is experiencing the outside world for the first time and, and like, quote unquote, feeling the rain fall on her. And then and yeah. then he gets a call from his supervisor and she is just frozen. Yes. While oh, he, my God. You know, like like it's just a crazy reminder of despite how real it feels, it's not quite. Yeah. Real. yeah she's she's just still just frozen like there in the middle. Yeah. yeah. It was a great moment. It was a really disturbing yeah. moment. Um, that and another great uh, moment there was uh, whenever uh, Mackenzie Davis's character comes up to uh, like try and because she's basically like uh, playing like kind of like a whore or something. I yeah, guess. Like, a, like, like a sexual yeah, uh, like a prostitute kind yeah. of thing. And she like comes up to him and uh, she sees that he has the little like joy controller thing. And she's like, oh, 
you you don't like real girls. Mm-hmm. Even though what's so crazy about that is in this universe, there's only like maybe one, two humans in the entire yeah. movie. It really tackles the whole question of like what is what it is mean humanity? To, yeah, what does it mean to which be is real question, or alive? Which is a question that's brought up in the original Blade Runner, and it's just it's fleshed out so so well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I kind of want to get into some of the issues I have with this movie. Because it's not a perfect movie at all. I think a lot of people are maybe jumping the gun a little bit calling this a masterpiece. I think it is a piece made by a master for sure. <laughs> but it's a master's piece. It's but not it's, a masterpiece. <laughs> it's definitely flawed. Um, and what I do want to see it a second time just to really dwell on these uh, on these points that I have a little more and see mm. how they hold up to a second viewing. But just off the bat, I really think the third act sort of stumbles um, because you're leading up to this big Harrison Ford reveal. He doesn't come into the movie until over really late, over yeah. halfway into the movie. You're waiting for it. And when he comes, he he brings it like he is acting on a whole nother level to the acting he was doing in the original Blade Runner. Like mm-hmm. you can tell that he really cares about this character and that he is 100 percent committed to it. And, and he, you can see in his face that he has aged, that Deckard has aged and he's been through mm. so much and he has become mm-hmm. this fully... It, he's maxed out Deckard. Yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's living on the old planet that no one lives on because of radiation poisoning and he's all alone and I mean, with his dog. It yeah. leads into another, like one of the biggest storyline in the movie is that like he somehow got Rachel pregnant, which he was able to like impregnate a yeah. a replicant meaning like meaning that there's his, his no sperm... point for humanity anymore yeah at that so point, essentially the the main mystery in the film is that they find a box with bones in it and slowly as officer k gosling is trying to uncover this mystery and figure out what's going on with with these remains you find out that it's the body of rachel mm-hmm. the the character from the first blade runner and that she died giving birth yeah, in to him birth. to her and Deckard's child. Mm-hmm. And there's some there's some foreshadowing dialogue by Dave Bautista in the very beginning mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to that where he's like, you've never seen a miracle. Yeah. Also um, Dave Bautista great performance yeah. in a in a very small, very, small very role. He did well. Yeah. yeah. But um before we get too deep into that, I did want to just mention that the the reason why I I said that the third act sort of stumbles is because I I, I keep having this feeling that the movie doesn't go as big as it could have. And I can't decide if that's a good or a bad thing. It really, it introduces all these huge themes and all, it just, it's juggling so many existential questions. And at the end of the movie, we sort of, it sort of culminates in this fight um, in a, in an, uh, flooding like sort of dam like big waters tank where you don't really know like what's going on uh you you get a sense that like Deckard is being transported somewhere uh they they don't want to kill him for some reason they want to keep him alive but Gosling wants to save him like things aren't they that aren't clear to clear. me yeah and 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 he, he Gosling is fighting the love character that works for um, the Wallace Corporation, 
and you don't really understand like why they captured Deckard or where they're taking him or what they want to do with him. Mm-hmm. And it's just this big fight. I mean, it, it's it's okay. Like it's well done, but it doesn't really f- have that weight to it yeah. that I would was expecting from like the climax of the of a film because the everything leading up to it was so good. You know, the first half of the movie is insanely good and and really really striking in in building out the character of of k and um uh, building out everything around him and the world but i just think that third act should have delivered a, a little strongly a little stronger in terms of like what the clarity is with the whole deckard character i i agree with you on that final scene just because I'm glad that it didn't lead to like some epic battle because that's not what Blade Runner is about. Blade Runner isn't an action movie. Yeah. It's a, like a, more of a detective story. It's very like very slow and like it's not big set pieces or anything like that. I was not a big fan of the whole like drowning scene, that whole like car uh, yeah, floating yeah. down to the. I wasn't a fan of that scene. I did, however, really really enjoy some of the big big concept things that they bring up at the very end of the movie like how the Blade Runners are essentially in this movie um, where in the original Blade Runner they were sent out to kill any kind of replicant on Earth. At this point there is killing older models of replicants and the movie leaves off at this point where the uh, older generations are basically like forming a revolution together to try and like overthrow this system they're like we are sentient beings too and you can't just kill us mm-hmm. and i thought that that was really cool because it it's one of those things where they don't need to actually like show you some big revolution or anything like that it's a little bit of setup you could say possibly maybe there's a third blade runner coming um but i would rather them not ever show any kind of big action set piece or anything like that because it's that's just not, not that kind it's not of what film. blade runner is yeah, yeah it's not what it's all about yeah and with the whole um going back to like the big climactic uh fight sequence the thing that disappointed me the most i think about it is that throughout the whole movie we were watching these beautiful beautiful shots these sets these incredibly uh meticulously crafted world like we're, we're seeing amazing visuals and then it culminates in just a black water tank set. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was more of a claustrophobic scene than a yeah. visual thing. Like yeah, there's which, nothing I mean, going on. It worked visually. well for a claustrophobic scene, but that's not it goes it kind of clashes the style with the rest of the movie where the movie isn't meant to feel yeah. claustrophobic it's at like, all. This is it's the all big like, climactic scene, really. Well, the I rest mean, of the movie is very vast and open and that scene just yeah. is not at that's, all. That's a struggle that I think a ton of big movies uh deal with, which is like you open up so many avenues in a giant movie that like you're writing a big check in the beginning and you have to cash it by the end and yeah, you, you got to have yeah end. you don't have that much time i mean it's a movie you know you don't have 10 hours you have less than 3 yeah so yeah it did suffer third act issues which tons of movies do i just think it was so murky like it was just yeah. not clear what was going on yeah. with with them capturing deckard and like taking him somewhere yeah i can agree with that but i mean the let's focus on the good parts of the movie because that is the biggest i mean overall i was just so happy with it i was i was it was better than i even thought it would be which one is more, good. Uh, better than it had any right being mm-hmm. yeah it yeah. didn't yeah one more thing uh 
Both, I mean, oh, I hear what y'all's opinions are. What were your thoughts on Jared Leto's performance? Okay, that's another <laughs> another issue I have with the movie. So, I I really, really, really like this movie, um, but it does have issues, and I really think that Jared Leto is one of the main issues with the movie because he is playing a, a human with a sort of god complex because he is creating life. Mm-hmm. You know, he is He's a making, cyborg, really, because he, he has all these implants and stuff like that, but he is human. Yeah, but his performance, his acting, feels like he is trying too hard. He and I know he's trying to play... a common problem for Jared Leto. I know every, he's trying to play yeah. like this heightened, godlike human who just wants to give these big monologues about life and power and meaning and purpose. I can only make so much. That, I mean, that's just Jared Leto but for you. Just, he, just I don't know how he keeps getting work. Every, 30 Seconds to Mars is trying too hard. I think yeah. everything he does, he is. it just kind of reeks of yeah. effort, which is great acting should feel effortless. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it did. It was kind of an issue, but I... Like the scene with the birth of the new AI, I thought that was like a visually an incredible scene. Yeah, it was. It was, it was crazy. What was so hard I couldn't stop thinking about is Jared Leto is a guy who in real life has had all these like charges for sexual harassment and like mm-hmm. harassing yeah. women all these times. And there's this scene with just this like naked AI woman who's just standing in there, and he's like basically like grabbing her crotch and like all this shit and you're just like yeah. oh and knowing he how he is her. as a person like that's yeah. it's hard to watch yeah. He's, yeah i don't he must have the best agent in hollywood you know um Denis um said that he wanted david bowie to play that character oh. that would be and then bowie and died yeah and, and i just, got jared leto and i that's just a, can't what a help, step down i can't help but to think that that would have been fucking amazing I think if so, Bowie would have played I mean, Wallace. I, I just think it should have been someone older. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, he, you could tell he was like trying to play like somebody in like his 50s or something, but Jared Leto is like a baby face. It doesn't really Yeah, he has work. no wrinkles on his goddamn face. He tried to like give him like gray contacts to make it look like he was blind so that he, yeah. he would appear he, older. Yeah, so he was kind of bothersome. He was blinded, though. Those contacts did impair his vision. Did he go, like, all Joker style? Yeah, where that's he's what like, I'm saying. I'll only come to set if you call me Mr. Wallace. That's what I'm saying, that he was trying too hard. Like, he's trying to do this method thing with, like, actually blinding himself and not being able to see his fellow co-stars. So he's just, like totally wrapped up in his own head he can't even look at harrison ford acting in front of him (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's a a huge part of acting is like knowing Mm -hmm. what your fellow actors are doing but he's like no i'm a blind like i'm a blind character so i gotta be blind he seems like he's one of the most hard like the hardest actors to work with on a film like i mean of course there's all the shit with suicide squad about how he was like trying to become the joker who's sending people like boxes of like dead rats and used condoms and shit like that like your little sucks fuck yourself jared <laughs> okay like, who the fuck do you think you but are but before we we get to uh points that we really enjoyed about the movie i have one small thing that i wanted to ask you guys because this movie you know like any denis film or any like really thought-provoking film it's not going to explain everything and it's going to leave things a little bit open-ended mm-hmm. and, and just give you little bits and pieces for you to piece together but what the hell was with the bees outside of harrison ford's 
uh, hotel uh, hideout I in think Las Vegas. I, my guess is that he beekeeps to get honey. Yeah, because he that, likes honey. That, I, I like, had that same because the, I mean the first thing he says when uh, Ryan Gosling gets there is like you don't happen to have cheese, do you? Like he <laughs> he just wants like f- fresh food. He doesn't yeah. have it. I, I guess that's a nice little can, world building detail. But they just lingered so much on yeah, the that, bees. They did and spend the a shot. while. And it was more of a visual it. thing, I guess. But yeah. um, I was wondering like. Because in the first Blade Runner and in this one, like it's assumed that pretty much all the animals on Earth are dead. Like okay. when when they have there's that one scene in the original Blade Runner when there's like a the snake, snake and there's like he, it's not a he's real like snake. is it a snake is this snake real and she's like you think I'd be working here if I had a real snake yeah and it's one of those things it's like are those real bees like what's uh, okay okay I, I see where that could be mm-hmm. like if he actually has real bees I don't know that isn't really like one of my bigger issues of the film yeah, I thought it, I yeah. thought it looked real especially when Ryan Gosling reaches his hand down in there and he pulls yeah. out it's just bees covering yeah. his fucking but just, hand just adds to the the fact that this movie does take its time to just linger on on little moments like these mm-hmm. to just give you um, hints at the larger world and just build out the visual palette of the film. Yeah, it, it's not like fast-paced cut, lit- cut, cut. I love how the length of this movie. People aren't... I know it's not doing super great box office-wise because it's almost three hours long, but I am so happy that this is a movie that took its time. There's no scene that feels like... It's like a minute scene. They're like, all right, exposition, 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 next scene. Exposition, 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 yeah. next scene. Like, it's nothing. Yeah. It never gets to that point. It always lingers, and it takes its time. It's a very, very patient yeah. movie. I think, I think that, that the pacing did a great balance where it wasn't quite like the first one. And it one. never bores you Yeah, either. exactly. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't like the first one where there are some scenes where it's like, all right, let's 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 get going. This one, it took its time, but it also wasn't too slow. Mm. Uh, so it did, which is a product of directing. Um, it did, a, and editing, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the directing in this movie is masterclass. It's yeah, it's so the it's visuals so of all this technology is just so cool. But, there were so many times where both of us, I could see you doing it too, were just like, whole, like what? Yeah. No, I was just, I was overwhelmed. That's why another reason why I can't wait to rewatch this film because I know there's going to be things like in the background of shots because there were certain things I noticed throughout the film where like you would see like the big Atari sign or something, but there'd be like three other cool things just yeah. in that frame. And you sort of get lost in the visuals you really that do. you kind of lose track of what's going it on. It happened, with the I story. think two different times where it would have this amazing shot of like downtown LA and it would go to characters talking. And it took me like, it took me a couple seconds to, get back into what they're talking yeah. about because I'm still thinking about everything yeah. I just saw. Just awestruck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, really, truly. Um, one person I want to give credit to is Sylvia Hoax, who played uh, Love. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her performance was great. One of the main great. antagonists. Yeah. Terrific performance. She's doing very calculated work with her emotions and her facial expressions mm-hmm. because she's a replicant and she wants to be this ruthless like enforcer and killer, but you can tell that there's a lot. Yeah, there's a struggle, a lot of it's like emotional struggle going on in mm-hmm. her. And there's the scene where she kills Robin Wright's character yeah. and crushes the shot glass in her oh, yeah. hand. She is crying. Mm-hmm. She's like Robin Wright is being like she knows she's about to die, and she her hand is cut, but she's keeping it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, love is feeling all this rage and intensity and this adrenaline that she's about to like murder someone. Mm -hmm. But her eyes are like tearing up 
yeah. and she's she's she, like almost great facial her body language was great too the severity of her whenever she was like injuring someone the severity of it was just yeah. very jarring very well done just precise like very mechanical forceful yeah. yeah yeah like robotic hits yeah dude there's fucking good martial arts training on her yeah. like no i mean that was what made the casting of the replicants so well done because like, for example, with the main character, Ryan Gosling, in the very beginning of the film, he seems extremely robotic. And you see, as he's learning more and more things about the replicants as, like, a people, he becomes more and more human- humanized. Yeah. His, Not his in anything he says, changes. but his body language. Yeah. And um, Just from the first course- scene, he, the first scene, he just boots up. Yeah. He's sleeping, and he's not, like, jolted awake or anything. He just, he just wakes up like like a robot <laughs> like i know another scene that like totally like took me aback whenever we saw it was the um like the evolution of the test that the, they take um, the empathy test yeah the empathy oh, yes, test that was so great that was whenever you just see it because you're just jumped right into it and i was like are they doing like spoken word poetry right now just going back and forth <laughs> yeah. each other it's cells. so and it's like cells interlinked interlinked interlinked, interlinked. it's like a minute of just them like so like so quickly just yeah, so talking fast, right so back and jarring. forth to each other. I loved that scene. That scene is incredible. And then that juxtaposed to whenever he takes the scene later on in the movie and there's just the slightest bits of he- hesitation mm-hmm. in his responses and everything. And just like little eye movements and stuff like that. And, and his, they're like, you're way throat, out of balance. Like, yeah. Throbbing. And yeah. it's because he thinks he's a human. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a great subplot, yeah. and you think he's a human too. You're almost sure of it, and then you find out yeah. he's not. That's what. That's another great uh, part in the movie, yeah. where because you're le- you're led to believe that maybe he is the child, and uh, there's that scene wherever they're down like I mean, the sewers even, or whatever. Even and when she's he just meets like, when he meets Deckard for the first time, at that point in the movie, you're essentially convinced that he is meeting his father. Yeah, you're like dad. Yeah. yeah. No. Exactly. They no, they it, set it up perfectly, and then they also set it up perfectly for there to be the other, the real plot line, which is that Deckard's daughter is the dream lady who's stuck in behind yeah. the glass wall. But I just I love that part whenever they're down the sewers, and you can just see kind of a little bit of a look of just sadness come over him when he realizes that he's not the like oh, yeah. human replicant form, and they're like, "Oh, you thought you were special? We we all wish that we were that child." Yeah. Mm-hmm. It okay. It, I really like that scene because of that line. Where you sort of understand where this rebellion is seated, mm-hmm. in that they all feel this sense of they're all of, they of all feel special. special. Yeah. yeah, they're not just robots, and that, and that they they have a meaning to their quote unquote life. But one problem I do have with that is the the leader of the revolution is obviously a very important character, you know. And we only get one scene with her, and there's not much to establish her importance. Yeah. They, she's never set up. Freysa is her name. Freysa yeah. or something. We 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 get the sense that she is a big player in this world, but we don't get much. We, yeah, we to, we really do really barely, grab onto. Well, that, that leads into this whole like leaving a big picture open ended. I mean, we'll wait and see if there's going to be a third uh, Blade Runner movie to like make a full trilogy. If they do, I really hope that it does not happen for another seven, eight years. I really want them to take yeah, their time with this. Because it may not even be directed by Denis. I doubt that Denis will come back for this. And I hope that we have another major time jump. It'll be like Blade Runner 2079 or something. Yeah. It'll be 
after the revolution because I don't want an action Blade Runner movie. Like, that's the worst thing that I think that they could do is go in that direction where there's like, now we're going to have a battle revolution Blade Runner, yeah. bring it into the 21st century. That's not yeah. what I want at all. Definitely. Which is one of the best things about this movie is I know Hunter and I, like, we mm-hmm. made this prediction that we thought that this was a movie that was going to really up the stakes in terms of it being this epic, epic sci-fi movie mm-hmm. that was going to show us maybe the entire earth or or off-world yeah yeah that was really another one of our out the universe that was another one of our big predictions that we thought that we were going to see off-world colonies yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like no the off-world colonies are earth now the replicants have just taken over exactly earth. and and you just stick to gosling and his story and you know it stays the, very grounded the 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 thing is is gosling performance is so good and it's so his his arc is so amazing with him starting out like full robot and like slowly coming to terms with the fact that he may be human and Mm -hmm. like finding his humanity. It just really grounds the story from being this big, big scope take on like the meaning of life and humanity and just, he holds it together. Um, But there is a lot to say about Harrison Ford's performance though. I think he's doing a lot of work. He's not, he's not in the movie a lot. He doesn't have that, Many I could scenes. have used a little bit more screen time for I Harrison Ford. I was expecting him to be in the movie well, a little more. It's, I don't but know. But he does good work. I mean, I like that they're not just making it like a, hey, remember? Yeah, you that's know? good. Yeah, that's that's they, true. They brought in a whole new situation. And they didn't try and make it like buddy cop story of just like <laughs> yeah, true. Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling like palling around yeah, together. The nice guys. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in the end, uh, the very, very end, you you do get the sense that this is Deckard's story. And even though we followed Gosling throughout the bulk of the movie, at the end, it is all about Deckard and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Gosling's purpose really was, was for him to get Deckard to his kid, to mm-hmm. his child. Like he, mm-hmm. he dies in the snow and he just feels like he did have a purpose. Yeah. And like he did have meaning to his existence i mean it, it happens in a ton of movies but it did remind me of children of men where yeah. he the man the leading man fulfills his mission and then just dies contented i was also getting children of men vibes with that whole like basically it's just a very like in the most simple way just like this uh group of people or beings that cannot give birth and there being this one like chosen one that mm-hmm. was able to yeah have a child it definitely did. I, I definitely got those vibes whenever we were whenever i was watching the so film. about that Let's let's backtrack a little bit. So Jared Leto's character Wallace has been making replicants in place of the Tyrell Corporation, mm-hmm. but he wants there to be an evolution to his yeah. creation. He wants his replicants to replicate themselves. Mm-hmm. He wants them to be able to to birth new replicants yeah. and to put him into more power. Exactly. So he realizes that because of the discovery that K that Gosling has made. This had already happened 30 years earlier right, with, with Deckard and Rachel. Mm-hmm. So this changes his his approach to it because he's like, wait a second. If this has already happened, I need to find that child. Mm-hmm. That is the key to getting what I want. Mm. So what do you guys think? Do you guys think that that child exists because Deckard is special or because Rachel is special? I think it's Who be- is the special one? Is it both? You know, I think it's kind of both. I would say more so Rachel. I mean, Rachel, of course, was a special replicant of her time because she was Tyrell's main assistant. Do you think everything. Tyrell 
uh, specifically made her to be fertile. That, it's, I mean, it's possible. That's the most likely scenario is that since, like you said, it was his assistant, he made her with the, you know, the possibility. I mean, she was the first replicant to have memories installed. She, yeah. They make that clear in the first Blade Runner that, that he's just like, well, how do they not know what they are? And he, she, he's just like, oh, well, we put in memories for like a security blanket yeah. for them. So that, yeah, I mean, that's what I would guess. That's like the Occam's razor answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I mean, it's kind of just cool that we can even think because we obviously, as the audience who like Blade Runner, we think that Deckard is special because we love him. Yeah. And, and that's the question that has been mulled over all these years is, is, is Deckard a replicant or not? And I think the way this film tackles that lingering question is very admirable Mm -hmm. because you can still think that he's a replicant or you can think that he's a human each it leaves answer, it very open it, yeah. each answer works and there's enough in both films to back up both theories yeah mm-hmm. what do you guys think I, do you guys think he's a I, I think he's a, a human I think, I think he's a human too I think he's a human because I, I really like the way that they did this movie they kind of flipped um, Decker's story where in the original Blade Runner you think he's a human, but he might maybe be a replicant. It's, and this it's a movie, story of a, of a man coping with possibly the possibly artificial being, nature of his of his humanity. And then in Blade Runner 2049, it's more so set up as he's a replicant, but maybe he's a human. Like with his K, story, with yeah, yeah, with, with K, yeah, yeah. So it's really, really interesting how they did that. It makes for a that. much more compelling story, in my opinion, that you have the story of a replicant coping with his potential humanity and thinking that he may be an actual real human. That is a much more interesting story yeah. than yeah. the original Blade that, Runner. I, I think every plot line was better fleshed out in this one than in the last one. Oh, another thing, um, speaking back to uh, Jared Leto's Wallace character, I loved the juxtaposition between like the motivations between uh, the Wallace Corporation and uh, Robin Wright's character. Because Robin Wright's one of the very few humans that we see on a uh, on earth and she's basically telling Kay like you need to cover this up you need to end this because if we if this gets uncovered and comes out then humans are dead like there's no point to having humans anymore because you are the next step in evolution yeah and And this movie really fleshes that out yeah like Robin Wright was also amazing in this movie yeah really really strong performance by her um going back to the Deckard question I think he's a replicant and I, the reason why I think that is because there's a very key line in one of the first scenes we get with Harrison Ford where they're having, they're sharing that drink. Oh, it, I guess it's not one of the first scenes, but it's after they have the fist fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, that fist fight is mm-hmm. so cool because, yeah. again, it's a scene that takes its time and just sort of lingers on this moment. And when you get these really cool visuals of like Elvis and, and Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Like oh yeah. That I, I forgot throughout. about that whole, that yeah, that was a neat scene. Awesome. It was cool. R- very well done. But then you get the scene where they share the drink and Harrison Ford, uh, Deckard has a dog with him that he also lets him drink alcohol. And Gosling is like, is that dog real or is it a replicant? And Harrison Ford says, I don't know. Ask him. Why don't you ask him? And that kind of encapsulates the whole theme of, of that question of, of is Deckard human or not? I think Deckard, it really thinks deep down that he is a replicant, but he will never know for sure. Just like how we don't know Mm -hmm. because he didn't die. He wasn't, he didn't have an expiration date. He lived on. So he is forever living this duality of, 
being a human, getting older, but really deep down thinking that he may really be a Well, I mean, that just leads, in the original Blade Runner, like, if you go back and listen to interviews and everything, even Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford have different interpretations of the character. Ridley Ridley Scott thinks that... Decker is a replicant. Yeah. And Harrison Ford thinks that Decker is a human right. who's struggling with this idea that maybe he isn't actually real. Yeah. So it's it's amazing that you can have two people who were there and both of them take totally different ideas. Yeah. I'd be interested in reading the book and seeing like what tonally where it ends up in that because that's the canon of it. That's the whole point of the book is is the question of what defines what is Life humanity and, yeah. and humanity and that's what makes this story so compelling is we have all of these themes of what we believe to be genuine life and 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 humanity and it constantly flips our understanding of that and our expectations for what that should be and it honestly that's what just really elevates this movie to another level and why we can keep having these discussions about what the themes mean mm-hmm. not only to us in our world but to this whole other fictionalized world that is so f- fully fleshed out and realized that you know you 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 can spend hours talking well, about it well i have it. to ask you do you guys want a third movie i have to say i don't think i want a third well, movie well have you guys seen any of the of the uh, short films no i really yet? want to watch the three yeah, shorts that came out I before this i was waiting until i saw 2049 to go back and watch those yeah, i haven't seen them either i know uh, the third one that came out was uh, made by the director of cowboy bebop um the animated like one his name yeah, yeah yeah but see that's an instance of uh, of stories happening outside of Oh, well, one of them I know features Jared Leto and another one, Dave Bautista, but they're just like these adjacent stories that sort of like build out the world right. a little more. So I think a third movie should feature another new character mm. and just give us another story yeah. that really furthers the story more. I'm, I'm good without one, though. Yeah. I'm like, fine without I, one. I like a little bit of the open-endedness to it. Like, I'm, I mean... If there is another uh, another Blade Runner made, like I said, I really hope it's something that takes its time. It finds a great visionary like Denis, because I highly, highly doubt that Denis would come back for another Blade Runner film. I feel like he's yeah. like, I wanted to I dip mean, he my toes. He did a great job the, with this. Because Arrival was his first step in the sci-fi genre, but it's not really a sci-fi film. Here he went all in with a classic sci-fi story. Yeah, this and is, I think he's gonna want to go on to do different things because he's such a prolific director. Yeah, and this movie was like about as big of a challenge as you could get as a director. So I mean, after this, his catalog is kind of evened out to the point that he can. He's proven he can do any job. Actually, yeah. I, I I just thought about it and um. I said that you might be done with sci-fi, but I forgot. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this, oh, but he's, he's making attached Dune. to Dune, yeah. the Dune remake. But he wants to make it as a TV show. He wants it to, to be like, like an a lot HBO type a, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. After seeing 2049, I think he could do some really mm. good stuff to tackle a big, expansive universe Bring like, back like Kyle Dune. McLaughlin. <laughs> Honestly. David Lynch. Yeah. So um, to close this out, let's uh, try to think like, do you guys think this is Denis' best movie? Okay, um, I I like Arrival more. I think this is probably his second best movie. Mm, see, Enemy just has a special place in my heart because of the way that makes me think. I think that this is probably his most well-made movie. I think this is a movie that I'm yeah. gonna need to see. I mean, shout out to his team. Shout out to uh, 
Roger Deakins. Like, oh my God, Roger Deakins. Best. This is this is finally gonna be the year that Roger Deakins wins the much deserved Hopefully. Oscar. It yeah. it has to be. Like this movie is so visually stunning. Like I don't know how he cannot yeah. win with this movie. Um, but going back to what you said, um, I think this is a movie I need to see a few more times, at least once or twice more while it's in the theater. To make a final decision. To make a final decision. I definitely think it's my favorite movie of the year oh, so yeah. far. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to say it's. I like it more than any other movie that I've more seen More than Apes, year. more than Dunkirk. More than Dunkirk. Yes, more, yeah. I would agree too. Uh, overall, I don't know. I f- this is his most impressive movie to watch. It is most Especially because it had so much going against yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, he could have very easily there's so many ways that this movie could have gone wrong and he did it he nailed it i mean he did really fucking well and he elevated it, it to never it's works. better than like, the original rebooting yeah. a series or a movie from 35 years ago that never works yeah. it never works and, and uh, he made it better and he of course on it. i mean of course the first one had more to deal with in terms of what technology was available to realize the idea but this one is a better movie, I would say. I yeah. liked watching this more than I like watching the original. And oh I, yeah, for sure. Um, Gosling, it just does a lot better work than Harrison Ford did in the original, and that in itself just makes for a much more compelling protagonist. And it's a better script. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's better it's, shot. It looks better. You it's, think Gosling's gonna get an Oscar nom? No, no. I think <laughs> nah. this movie. Is I think just, he might get a Golden Globe nom. Yeah, I could see much that. More I, this this, this movie kind of is probably just going to get a bunch of technical um, nominations. I, I don't see Denis, it winning anything. I hope Denis get, at least gets nominated for yeah, this film. I don't see him winning. I just hope Roger Deakins wins for cinematography <sighs> yeah. at the very le- least. And possibly like the sound design, the sound team. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about the score for 2049. It's great. It's I mean, really it's, good. It's, I don't like it more than the original a score. A lot of bois. Yeah. It's, it's Hans. I mean, it's Hans Zimmer. It's so it's gonna have yeah, lots of but really good though. But it's it doesn't have as many like memorable tunes like the uh, the, like love, the theme love theme and or stuff the like tears that. And rain. I mean, it gets hinted. There's there's slight little motifs yeah. here and there. Um, but I still thought it was really really cool, and it 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 fits it the film. You, no, it, it, that's that's the best thing I can say about it, is especially when there's these booming sounds while you're looking at these like long shots over downtown yeah. Los Angeles. Like it works it really well. It. it really brings you into because the movie. at the end of the day, this is a Denis film. Mm-hmm. This is not Denis trying to be Ridley Scott or trying to emulate what Ridley Mm -hmm. Scott was doing. Yeah, he did. That's what this movie was as a director is a balancing act. He balanced making it his and like being part of a bigger property. He balanced everything perfectly in my opinion. Home run. Yeah. So what what would you guys give it out of 10? Do you, oh, do you have you decided yet? Time. I, I, I really I really want to try to catch it on a on a big screen on like RPX or, mm-hmm. or IMAX. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm feeling like a strong eight, possibly a nine. Yeah, mine's in between an eight and a nine. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that I, right now I'm like an eight, eight point five. I think if I see it again, I'll probably think it's a nine. Yeah, or, we'll see. We'll see how it stands for a second. Just because game. I mean, like I said with Blade Runner, the first time I saw it, I thought it was really good. And it After just gets better. second, yeah. third, fourth viewing, it just gets better and better every time that I see yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you learn to love all the little flaws in it. I feel like that's going to be one of those things with 2049, too. Like, there are little moments that you just learn to, like, appreciate for what they yeah. are in the movie. And it's just better than most movies now. It's better than, like, any Marvel movie or mm-hmm. It's part anything. of a property, but it's still a really original yeah. story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Plugs. All right. Let's wrap it up, y'all. Um, thanks for listening to this episode. We love you all. Uh, shout out to Lee. Shout out to Danny, who was mind blown last week when we talked about 
uh, Brandon Flowers writing about his suicide. Oh, attempt really? Cool. Oh, really? Space man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's he's all right. You know, his mind was blown, but he's doing okay. He's good. good. Pushing yeah. it all back in his. Yeah, soul. yeah, yeah. He's still still kicking it. Still alive. You can email us at webottamike at gmail.com. You can like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, send us any messages, any questions you may have. We'll read them on the air. Let us know what you thought of Blade Runner 49. Did you think it was a masterpiece? Did you think it was mm-hmm. a long, pretentious, overblown mess? Let us know. Hit us up on uh, on the Facebook or the email or the Insta, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys right. got plugs? I'm at Drew Dietzen on Twitter. That's it. Oh, man. You, you went before oh. me. Usually I go first. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm going to oh, take a piss fuck. right now. Bye, guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm on Twitter as well at Hunt Mobley, no underscore, H-U-N-T-M-O-B-L-E-Y. Yeah, just uh, hit me up. Email us. We need some more fan mail. Hate mail. Please send us hate mail. I want hate mail over fan mail, to be honest. Yeah, and I am at Caldernest on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, follow me on there. I've been doing some... Uh, I'm trying something new on my website, writing little articles about film. So I wrote up a essay on the f- old film mavericks of the 1970s wrote about Coppola and uh, The Godfather with um, also Taxi Driver and Scorsese. So just taking a deep dive at this golden age of Hollywood in the 70s. So check that out. My website is calderonernest.com and it's uh, one of the first things on there. So yeah, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. See y'all later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. Come on down here. Say, I want you. I want you. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack Door ships slam. on fire. I love this song. I want you to hold me. This fucking scene.